listening to Fan Holes, a podcast for fans by the fans. Secret Brothers. I have clinical. You guys are like wasting my time right now. Hey, baby. What's <laughs> going on? This is my microphone voice. <laughs> Where do you buy those at? I need one. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck is going on. I didn't invent honorable mentions, mister. <laughs> I have a headset. It looks way cool. You should all be jealous. I, uh, we are. I'm with Mike on that one. I'm a woman! <laughs> it is our show. It's called Fan Holes, not, you know, what you guys want. <laughs> <laughs> We do a podcast? What the fuck? This meeting of the Legion of Doom will come to order. In a short while, the Super Friends will... Uh, yes, uh, Brainiac. Uh, yes, Luthor. I was wondering if perhaps we could listen to Fan Holes, the pop culture podcast made for the fans by the fans. Yes, what we need are a few items, like an MP3 player, to listen to their perfect podcast. Cheetah, you have razor sharp claws. Brainiac, your mind games are deadly. Scarecrow, you're... You're made of straw! What use could we possibly have with the pop culture podcast made for the fans by the fans? I demand more toys! Oh, enough of this! Yes, Brainiac, what is it? All I want is a podcast! A decent podcast! Solomon Grundy wants Fan Holes Podcast too. Hey guys, welcome back to another exciting episode of Fan Holes Podcast. And continuing, this is going to be the second part of our new segment called Page by Page, which is a, a new segment of Fan Holes where we're just kind of going through a comic page by page and looking at all the different uh, interesting drawings. And uh, what we started with last week was History of the DC Universe, and that was book one. And so now we're moving on to book two. So, you know, when last we left off, we were having the monitor's assistant guide us through all these different aspects of the new canonical DC history after Crisis on Infinite Earths. So Harbinger's running around with her Wii U, as uh, Tony likes to say, and, you know, she's basically chronicling the history of the DC universe. So we'll, we'll open up book two right away, but again, you know, as, as we saw on the, uh, the last book, the cover specifically states history of the DC universe, and within all the letters there are certain images and pictures from the interior artwork by George Perez. So uh, I guess we'll just get into this right away. We've got chapter one here, or chapter one. We've got uh, book two here, but, but we're uh, on page one. And uh, we've got a lot of text talking about how there's like, you know, one universe and one Earth, one world, you know, basically getting away from the whole 
multiverse aspect of everything. And so basically it's kind of doing what we just did in the intro, kind of setting up the idea that Harbinger is going to be the one to chronicle all these different events that happen throughout DC history. So she's like basically saying this then is the history of the DC universe because she's appointed herself to the chronicling task. And there she is with her little Wii U sitting on some kind of historical artifact. Thingamajig. Thingamajig that George Perez probably lovingly, detailingly drew. It's very history channel-y. Yes. And then we've got World War II going on in the background. So now we've got some Charlton characters that were carried over from... What am I thinking of? Charlton characters that were carried over from Charlton. Um, <laughs> it's like lame. Naughty. I don't know. Anyway, anyway we got, we got, uh, uh, we got, got Judo, Judo Master and uh, his, his little buddy there, Tiger. Tiger, who, of course, turned into like a vicious evil's bad guy for some stupid reason in the Law miniseries and probably started a whole chain of, uh, you know, kid miracle men appearing in the DC universe later on, you know, culminating with like Superboy crime. So see that little kid off to the side that's like taking out that one soldier or whatever. So like he was supposed to be Judo Masters, you know, like buddy, buddy you know, steadfast, steadfast sidekick. But but it turns uh, out he's, he's an evil son of a bitch or something. So, but anyway. Yeah, and so then then a lot of these characters, I think, probably showed up, like, in the All-Star Squadron and stuff like that. Like, Tsunami was supposed to be a representative of, uh, you know, Japan during World War II or whatever. Or, no, I guess she's a Japanese-American, so I guess she fought with who, like, the probably with the All-Star Squadron or something like that. Yeah. We're still continuing the whole World War II theme when we turn the page, and I guess this is kind of a double-page spread. Guardian sitting there doing his Captain America thing with uh, all these Daily Planet newspapers that are featuring all the headlines from the day, you know, where Poland was invaded and you can see Pearl Harbor was bombed and you've got a reference to, you know, the the Holocaust and the death camps with the death march headline and all this kind of stuff in the background. And then you've got the Jack Kirby's Boy Commandos, you know, the and, and like the Newsboy Legion, like those guys. guys. So they're all kind of like the, the, I guess, home, home front, front like, like heroes of the uh, time or whatever during the World War II era. And then, of, and then course, of course, you got my, uh, my favorite. We got Jeb Stewart in the Haunted Tank. Mother of Pearl! A haunted tank driven by the ghost of Jeb Stewart! Ma'am, this Nolan aggression has forced me to do you bodily harm. After her, General. That's just what I aim to do, sir. <laughs> whenever I, whenever I yeah. see like that, I always think of like Mike freaking out when he saw that on like Brave and the Bold. He's like, it's yeah, Jeff Stewart, the haunted tank. <laughs> like it was the most bizarre. <laughs> so, yeah, I really, like, me and my roommate were like cracking up. We like never heard of that before. So yeah. they're like, that's like the most random ass thing ever. So yeah, like a lot of these guys are, are it's weird. Like a lot of the World War II comics, I think, you know, a lot of them came about in, like, the 70s, actually, like, because, you know, I, I remember, like, all these were being published in the 70s by then. You know, the Creature Commandos, for instance, or, you know, you've also got, like, the Viking Commando, so it's kind of it's kind of ridiculous, like, some of these concepts, but, but it's, like... I really want to read that right now, Viking Commando. Yeah, yeah, so, like, you know, and then, and then of course, you've got, uh, you know, a uh, reference to the Unknown Soldier, who uh, basically is, I guess, a nod to 
you know, all the quote unquote ordinary soldiers, you know, the, the ones who didn't need, uh, you know, special powers or ghost like abilities or that kind of stuff. So, you know, but, um, and then, and then you've also got like the losers too. Like you can see off to the right there. I think they're all hanging out there. Like Johnny cloud is like, you know, one of my, uh, my favorite characters too. And then he kind of got the shaft cause he didn't even show up in the new frontier justice league directed video. Like he got, uh, he got like replaced or whatever. I don't know. Like he wasn't really heavily featured in that at all. So, but, um, it's cool to see all these guys here, you know, like you get to see all these different, um, you know, characters that have filled the pages of DC history. But I mean, does anybody else have anything like that? that like, did anybody ever read like the unknown soldier or, Boy Commandos or any guys like that? Uh, the only thing I thought was really weird is at, at some point, for no reason at all, Star Labs, uh, in the current time, like, you know, it was the 80s or 90s when the, the comic was written. It was a Superman comic, and they made a clone for the Guardian. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. But they made a clone for the Newsboy Legion. They, like, made clones yeah. of all of them, and I was like, I was like Why? You know, we, they got to have some some ornery children to run around and sell newspapers. <laughs> Let's yeah. amscray before the fuds gets here. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. I read a lot of like Hunt and Tank and Creature Commandos. Like I I love like a lot of seventies DC stuff. Whether it's like their various uh, World War Two comics or their horror comics, like I love that stuff. Yeah, no, it's all cool because it's like weird war tales and stuff like that. Like there, there were all those kind of books that had you know long running titles, and then you know guys like Creature Commandos or the Unknown Soldier or Haunted Tank or whatever all became like you know features in those long running you know DC type titles and stuff. But uh, I guess you know I guess they're trying to clue us in because by the second half of the spread page. Um, you see the headlines of the Daily Planet are changing because you've got, uh, you know, Italy surrendering, you've got the Allies advancing, um, and then you've got, uh, you know, FDR dead and Hiroshima bombed, and then you've got a big headline from the Daily Planet saying that the war ends. I guess we're pretty much wrapping up the whole World War II era in DC oh. Comics here. So, so then we end up turning the page, and um, we've got, uh, you know, the... Uh, the Seven Soldiers of Victory and kind of what was their ultimate fate. You get to see, uh, you know, Black Canary and Mary, Girl of a Thousand Gimmicks. And then, you know, ultimately uh, we, we go into the, the House of Un-American Activities Committee and they basically are causing the, the uh, you know, dismantling of the Justice League because I guess they don't want to reveal their secret identities to the world. And, uh, you know, they're all accusing them of being uh, dirty, stinking commies, and so they all have to disband. And then, of course, uh, this also explains, like, where all those heroes went, you know, because I guess if you have the, the new continuity of, uh, of DC Comics or whatever, you know, um, you know you, you'd kind of wonder, well, how come Green Lantern went inactive at all? You know, like, so I guess this kind of explains you know, what happened to some of those heroes and stuff like that. I know you and uh, you, you, Tony, and you, Justin, are big fans. Like, do you have any take on, on this interpretation of, of why the Justice Society disbanded or anything? Like, this is probably one of my favorite uh, Justice Society stories. I think it's just called America versus the Justice Society, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a really great miniseries, and it really kind of goes into detail of, like, it, it's basically, you know, anti-communism scare in the early 50s, and they basically, you know, you know, it penetrates Hollywood. It penetrates like almost every level of American society, and it's hard for us to imagine now. But it's like 
you know, just imagine if you're like, you know, Hawkman, and they're like, you know, you just got finished fighting World War II, and they're like, all right, mister, you're going to take your mask off because we say so, because what if you're a commie? And you're just like, well, I, I just, you know, I just hope you guys, you know, win World War II, like, you know, cut me some slack. But it, it it's a really great series. Like, it, it's one of my favorite Justice Society stories ever. Yeah, it's like a direct, yeah, it's a good. It's a direct reference to like the MacArthur hearings and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Isn't this like like what came first? Isn't this like extremely similar to what happened like in Watchmen and like to uh, like the Minutemen? I think it's more uh, that Watchmen probably helped originate all this stuff with Alan Moore's like deconstructing of superheroes and stuff. So I, I think the Watchmen stuff, the whole you know Nixon Act that prohibited superheroes, like that. Definitely came before um, America versus the Justice Society, but I could be wrong. Wrong! Yeah. Well, this, the story also helped explain like why, in reality, why in reality at the time uh, during this phase, like the '40s and early '50s, superhero comics were in decline. They weren't as popular as they once were, and that's when like all these romance and western and all that stuff kind of started yeah. to come out. So it's kind of also like an incontinuity reason why, oh, that's why these guys went away. When in reality, a lot of the series were just canceled or just went on hiatus because other properties were more popular at the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, even even in real life, the, the superhero comic was big and booming, you know, in the 30s during the whole Great Depression. But, you know, once, once the uh, World War II era ended and you didn't have all these guys out there sort of fighting the good fight, you know, that, you know, the guys ended up becoming, you know, instead of Spy Smasher, he, he had to change his name to, like, Crime Smasher because there weren't any more, you know, spies to fight, quote-unquote, you know, and stuff like that. So, you know, and, and then here we've got, you know, basically after the Justice Society disbands and goes back to civilian life, you know, below that we've got Task Force X, which is basically like the Suicide Squad. So you've got, you know, all these different, you know, outcomes of the Justice Society disbanding. And then, of course, if you look at the very, very bottom, it's basically teasing about the, the greatest of all heroic ages coming about, and so you can see Superman's rocket ship uh, still slowly making its journey to the planet Earth. The thing has, like, really, really shitty acceleration. Shitty. <laughs> <laughs> Traveling for a whole book and a half now. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a lot of anticipation for uh, Super Slopper to show up, so... <laughs> But uh, yeah, so we turn the page, and uh, I guess I guess this page is the origins of uh, of the big three. I guess I guess if you don't count Wonder Woman as one of the big three, and you sort of supplant Aquaman with Wonder Woman, because we've got the lighthouse where you know Arthur Curry was basically growing up, and you see his mom there with uh, with his dad, and you know then you see little Arthur like swimming around in Atlantis, and you know of course you're seeing Bruce Wayne's parents get shot. And the rocket ships crashing into the Kent cornfields and stuff like that. So, post post crisis, like like did they? Um, that's not Joe Chill anymore, is it? No, it, it is Joe Chill actually. Okay, yeah, I forgot like how well, they well, kept changing, they kept changing it. it. Yeah, yeah. The, the the only change they made was post zero hour, I guess. So post zero hour, it was supposed to be like some random faceless dude or whatever but here it was still joe chill oh, okay. because eventually later you had like that they, they had you know batman year one but year two was all about him doing like his rival fusion team up with joe chill like he was running around with a gun in his holster he was basically running around with the gun that 
that murdered his parents. And so Joe Chill's sitting there doing this rival fusion with him going, hey, I, I used to have a gun like that. And Batman's like, grr, I know. I know. <laughs> you know, like, he's all mad. Where did he get this gun? Where did he get it? Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so, so, um, so then on the next page, there's this really cool design of, uh, of the Phantom Stranger, which I assume Justin is, uh, is a big, uh, fan of, you know? Yeah, do you like the, the art that Perez did on that? Yeah, this is a really neat page, but I, I'm kind of reading over the text, I'm just wondering, like, are they even going to, like, speculate on his origins here? Like, we don't know where this Phantom Stranger comes from, he has, like, four different origins, but more about that later. Yeah, it's like it's like Harbinger's trying to take all the documentation down in her Wii U or whatever, but she she just is asking more questions than providing answers, I suppose. He's getting like distracted by New Super Mario Brothers too. So. Yes, yes. Um, so I guess we're we're moving on to the next page here, and and I guess we're slowly getting into more and more uh, what people would call Silver Age stuff. You know, you've got Captain Comet who is uh, a mutant and not like an X-Man mutant, but basically, you know, he's, he's uh, you know, a mutant born 100,000 years ahead of his time or whatever. And so you got Captain Comet, who appeared in uh, Strange Adventures, I think, was the DC book where he appeared most frequently. Yep. And then, of course, below him, you've got Martian Manhunter or uh, Jean Johns, <laughs> you know. So, uh, you know, and, and that's pretty cool because y- you basically have these guys who are, you know, sort of heroes and stuff, but they're they're kind of insinuating. You know, it would take uh, you know Batman and Superman and Aquaman showing up before these guys would sort of reveal themselves to the public at large. Uh, another historical note: this was also like the Silver Age. One of their biggest things was introducing sci-fi because during the fifties and sixties, a lot of science fiction movies were being made, and that was like the hot thing. So they really wanted to push, like, science fiction characters because that was what was popular, and they figured, hey, let's mix superheroes with science fiction. It's not that hard. So that's one of the reasons why we have so many science fiction characters at this time. Yeah, and I, I love – I mean, I've always – I've made no secret that I love science fiction and everything, and I think the – you know, amping up the science fiction aspect of Superman at least works really well. Um, I know some people probably have conflicting opinions about how that worked out for Batman, but, you know, I still get a kick out of – watching Batman, you know, beat up dinosaurs on some extra-dimensional planet or what have you. Yeah, I mean, they were just going with what was popular at the time, and it worked out. I mean, it helped the uh, superhero franchises stay alive. So. And then I guess this is this is a little bit different because I guess, you know, in the original continuity or, or even today, you know, you kind of think of Wonder Woman as being one of the members of the big three, but here on this next page, you know, they, they're talking about, you know, you know, the child from Krypton, the child from Atlantis, and the child from Gotham City being in their late teens. And meanwhile, you know, uh, Hippolyta's, uh, you know, putting together Wonder Woman out of clay, you know. And so they've got this kind of image here of, uh, you know, the, the young babe Diana, you know, basically forming up out of the clay and everything. And that she would eventually show up, but she hasn't exactly become part of... Uh, you know, DC history yet. The, the Wonder Woman stuff with George Perez is the stuff that always, like, used to hurt my head with this, but they do a pretty admirable job of, of sort of what was, filling in the gaps here. Was that because, like, I mean, I could be wrong on my history, but was that because Wonder Woman wasn't really a big-selling book in the 80s? Uh, I guess not. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's all relative, you know? Like, not big-selling in the 80s 
is obviously different from not big selling today, if that obviously, makes any yeah, sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like not big selling today means you, you're selling like, you know, 15,000, 20,000 copies and you get canceled or, or below the 30,000 mark, you know, and you get canceled. But back then, you know, the highest selling book was probably selling like millions of copies. So it's like it, you, you could say like, oh, geez, that Wonder Woman, she's only selling, you know, 400,000 copies a month or whatever. And you'd be like, what, dude? That would be like a mega hit today. But, yeah. you know, back then it's like, oh, you, Wonder Woman's not breaking a million? Like, let's do something, you know, or whatever. You yeah, know, well, I was so. just speculating on the, like, you know, like you, as you said, the fact that she's a couple of pages after, like, you know, the bigger reveals of the era. I don't, I don't know if it's that as much as maybe, like, a lot of this stuff hadn't been written yet. It's like George Perez was going to work on Wonder Woman after Crisis was done, so I guess maybe they didn't know all the the details or how she exactly fit per se into this tableau here of history. Yeah, and if you don't mind, I'll I'll take the next pa- panel real quick just because one of my favorite characters, uh, well, his forebearer, uh, Dan Garrett, he finds the scarab and he becomes the first Blue Beetle. So I just like that. That's really cool. You're lucky we're even letting you tag along. Think you could lighten up for just one second, Mr. McGrumpy Pants? Do I have to remind you that you're the reason we're in this mess? You know, this is why I never mention hanging out with you guys to each other. I knew you wouldn't get along. And uh, Mike pwned me last week because I couldn't, I couldn't remember Dan Garrett's name to save my life. <laughs> I don't know how I knew it either. <laughs> it's just accumulated knowledge that just came out of nowhere. Yeah, exactly. It, I, I absorbed it through like osmosis or something. You know? <laughs> You know all those all those Batman Brave and the Bold episodes. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I must have yeah. picked it up somewhere around. I bet I bet, I bet it was bet like it was some like... mention in like Young Justice or something. Right. They they dealt heavily with the Blue Beetle there. So then of course we've got uh, uh, poor Raven's mom getting uh, getting impregnated. I guess is the best way to put it. <laughs> the most PC we could get with the way this is presented. <laughs> She was chosen, okay. <laughs> she was chosen. She was. She was. She was. A, she won a, a, a special raffle. And the demon Trigon showed up. Trigon raffle. It's like, hi, I'm Trigon. I met you on J date. <laughs> <laughs> you are the big winner. I just have a, just kind of. I got an image of him like reaching into like this big tumbling spear of like golf balls or something, and just reaching in and pulling out one. Yeah, she's kind of, she's kind of, Raven's mom is kind of cowering behind the, the sheets and covers there, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, that's, I guess, the deal, dealing again with the new Teen Titans stuff, which, of course, were, you know, pretty much babies of uh, Wolfman and Perez. So they are, of course, heavily featured in this book. And then uh, the last panel here is details the origins of the author of, of this whole, you know, history chronology, which, uh, you know, details... Um, you know, Lila being found at sea by, you know, the monitor ship and everything. And so she's like, and hey, by the way, like yours truly, I was drifting at sea, I got rescued, I was raised into adulthood, and now I'm totally chronicling this on the Wii U as we speak. <laughs> like, I am that child. So, yeah. Um, and so here we go. This is the the big moment where everybody's been waiting for. I will uh, make a special reminder or, or just note that uh, Superman is first and then Batman's on the next page. <laughs> That's how it fucking should be. I guess the time has come at last and, and now we're getting to the whole, you know, age of heroes or the second age of heroes. So I guess, you know, in, in the previous continuity, Superman was usually the first hero 
you know, in, in Earth One or Earth Two, but now it's sort of like sort of like he takes place, you know, post World War Two because they have to have Superman in a more modern time, just like they need to have Batman in a more modern time. And these are both great images. I mean, you've got Superman sort of flying out from the Daily Planet, which you know, the city of Metropolis is reflected in his logo in the background and everything like that. And and kind of similarly on the right hand side, you've got you know Batman, the Cape Crusader, in a very you know, John Byrne, Frank Miller, David uh, Mazzucchelli type image where his cow is completely black. And then within the cow, you can kind of see Batman swinging over Gotham City and everything. And then I guess as a little side note, they're like, and oh, yeah, he totally like teams up with Robin. You know, Robin's kind of gets shafted and he's he's at the very bottom beneath Batman's boot, probably licking it or something. I don't know what, what's up with that, but uh you know, basically they're they're kind of saying, hey, you know, these are the main big players in the DC universe, you know, Superman, Batman, and Robin. And I know I gushed about it last time, but again, like, George Perez is just a master. These two images are, like, I, w- I dare say iconic the way he drew them. They're just really Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, these are great. Yeah. It's not very often I say it's about an artist, but the man can really do no wrong in my eyes. Yeah, I, I, I always think all this stuff is great. I, but since the the last page in the t- the Superman and the Batman pages, it seems like that covered like a ten year like span of time or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's almost like you know you, you sort of like in between. You know, we went from well, because I guess they have to go from from children to adulthood. So I mean, you, you assume that you know usually the default age for Superman and Batman is thirty five, right? So you went from World War II, you know, and, and the Justice Society disbanding, and then within the span of maybe, you know, four or five pages, we're in this new sort of heroic Silver Age, if you will, or what have you. But it's not just, like, going from, you know, the 50s to the 60s. It's like it's going all the way to, like, you know, I guess with the whole Frank Miller and John Byrne kind of reboots, it's going all the way into the mid-80s, you know. So you, you basically have these guys being born in the 60s, 50s, you know, something like that. You know? Yeah, so on that, around there. Yeah. So uh, the next two pages uh, basically details all, I guess you'd say, the the, the big DC heroes that are, uh, you know, below the, the top three, you know, the three tiers or whatever that, you know, of, uh, you know, Superman and Batman and, you know, I guess Wonder Woman. Because we haven't really even gotten to Wonder Woman yet technically, which is kind of funny. That's why it always makes my head hurt. So we've got on on this uh, left-hand side of the page, we've got uh, Barry Allen, who is, you know, the uh, Silver Age Flash. So, uh, you know, now we've got a a new Flash, a new Green Lantern, Hal Jordan, a new Adam, Ray Palmer. And then we've got uh, Katar Hall and Shaira Thal, who are the, you know, I guess the space Hawkman and Hawkwoman. (laughs) So, I mean, you know, we've got all these guys there. I mean, you know... uh, Flash first showed up in, like, Showcase, uh, you know, and then, you know, we've got uh, Hal Jordan and Ray Palmer. I mean, I I don't know. Is there anything else anybody wants to say about these guys, like, while we're on this page? or Just that Flash is one of my favorite legacy heroes. It doesn't matter if it's Garrick, Barry, or Wally, or, you know, uh, Bart. Yeah, like, Flash has always been one of my favorite heroes. Your grandson, <laughs> Bart Allen, a.k.a. Impulse, and I'm your grandson from the future. Pretty crash, huh? 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, I kind of enjoy all these guys. I mean, they, they were yeah. all featured on the Super Friends. Um, you know, I've always been a big fan of Hal and especially Ray Palmer, you know, and stuff like that. And I, I guess I've always preferred the, uh, the, you know, like I say, I like science fiction better. And definitely, you know, compared to the, the Golden Age Hawkman, which I, I know Justin is kind of a fan of, I guess I, I've been, you know, I, I kind of lean more towards the science fiction aspect of Hawkman. Like, I've always liked the fact that, you know, to me, Hawkman was always a dude who was like a space cop. <laughs> you know, so I always kind of liked that that aspect of it, which is kind of interesting because Hawkman, of course, has, you know, one of the more convoluted histories in D.C., and at this point, I don't think they had decided, you know, they hadn't done the whole Hawkworld reboot yet, so at this point in time, he still sort of looked, you know, like the more traditional Silver Age Hawkman to that point. I think I think the Hawkman series they were trying to sell at the time, post-crisis, was the Shadow War of Hawkman, and that was still dealing with you know, like, oh, Thanagar is bad, you know, Thanagar is going to invade the Earth, but, you know, Hawkman was still, you know, Katar Hall, space cop, who was a good guy that liked the Earth and was a, you know, a member of the Justice League. And stuff like I was going to say, and, and all, all four of these characters all have science fiction origins, so that's kind of cool, too. Anyway, go ahead. There's only one incarnation of Hawkman that I don't enjoy, and that's the uh, Jeff Johns, like, stalker, crazy Hawkman from just Second <laughs> Limited. I, that's the only version I don't like. So it doesn't, mean it, it doesn't matter to me if he's archaeologist, space cop, or, you know, what have you, like, merged all these guys. Like, I, I'm a big Hawkman fan, too. Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed reading Hawkman books. Like I said, I, I had the superpowers figures of all these guys and everything. Um, I guess moving on to the second page, uh, this is the first time we see uh, Aquaman, the king of Atlantis, you know, in his, his full regalia and his costume and everything. He's up at the top of the page. And then uh, you got one of my favorite characters in his old uh, Charlton duds, I guess, uh, Captain Adam. Um, and it's kind of interesting, too, because, you know, I guess this fits, you know, like they, they kept the same origin for Captain Adam per se, but they didn't really use the Charlton outfit for the character. So, you know, obviously they hadn't fermented all their plans for Captain Adam per se, or if they had, you know, they still went with that classic uh, Charlton costume um, for this image here. Which is, and then, which is nice, but I do uh, like the uh, updated Captain Adam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. And then, of course, you've got a more classic-looking uh, Green Arrow, you know, uh, a brave and the bold Green Arrow, if you will, you know, pre, pre-Neil pre Adams, you know, uh, without the beard and everything like that. And, you know, basically, you know, detailing, you know, my interpretation of his origin, which is, dude was on an island, learned how to shoot bows and arrows, the end, you know, like, <laughs> where I was like, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Has an arrow cave and an arrow car. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. <laughs> And then I'll, I'll let uh, I'll let Tony take this away because this this last panel here is is all about Mr. Tony. But you can see you can see his vehicle up in the the cityscape of uh, of probably Star City, I'm assuming. But take it away, Tony. Um, yeah. Uh, again, we had already mentioned Dan Garrett, and swinging into action is a friend of his, uh, Ted Cord. Unlike Dan Garrett, he only fought with pretty much gadgets and uh, pretty much electronic know-how. Very smart guy. He was more closer to Batman than he was, you know, a Green Lantern or anything. He didn't have Force Blast or anything like that. Always one of my favorite characters, and he comes around in this age. 
Yeah, and I think uh, spinning out of Crisis, you know, I enjoyed reading the ongoing Blue Beetle and, and Captain Atom books that they had for those characters, you know, once DC acquired, you know, the rights to use them and everything like that. And then I guess, you know, I'm going to give a shout out to the reclusive gentleman, Steve Ditko, because he's the one who came up with both those guys, you know, Captain Adam and, um, and Blue Beetle. So word up to Mr. Ditko. We're, we're in his exclusivity and, and reclusiveness. Shine on, uh, you crazy diamond. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Continuing on, we are now uh, looking at more sort of interstellar history up at the top. I guess we've got, we've got Adam Strange um, and his origin being an archaeologist who basically got transported with the Zeta Beam. And so he's kind of in the center of this Perez image. And then it, it basically splits... Uh, you know, Adam Strange, you know, traveling on his rocket pack, you know, it splits the image into four different images. And so we've got uh, the Guardians of the Universe again. They're kind of reminding us, like, hey, they're they're still being vigilant and they're still, you know, fighting the good fight when they're not being jerks like Professor Xavier. We're not evil yet. You know, we're not we're <laughs> not bad guys. Um, of course, we've got uh, we've got for all the Starfire haters or, you know, Starfire's a slut and all this other stuff. Well, we've got the right panel here, and uh, it's got, uh, you know, Starfire probably about to be, uh, you know, uh, enslaved and uh, probably uh, lots of horrible things done to her because the Citadel is, is brutally conquering her home world. And so, again, this ties into New Teen Titans history, I mean, but it's also kind of establishing that there's a bigger, larger universe, you know, with the Guardians and, and Tamaran and, and the Citadel and stuff. I mean, of course she's a slut. Look at that. She's just wearing a bed sheet in that. Okay, she's five, but still. <laughs> uh, yes. Today is Gorb Gorb, the Tamaranian Festival of Berating Drapery. Stupid curtains! Yeah, and, and and look how how I guess I'm assuming that's her parents like hugging each other and like, like feeling like, all guilty. They're either like, hugging and feeling guilty or like, oh, is that? Thank God, we're gonna get some time alone. Yeah, yeah. Like, is that what that is? I thought they were like, oh, thank God, no more, no kids. more. Let's, kids. Make, Let's out. make out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. um, now the bottom left, I guess we've got the the DC version of Fantastic Four. Um, the Challengers of the Unknown. And then, of course, the tied in with them, I guess, because they're in a big cave, is uh, Cave Carson. And then... Um, <laughs> he's like, what's up? I spelunk. Um, Honestly, yeah. I'm surprised, like, these guys got a mention. Like, it, I'm pleased if they got a mention, but I'm, like, surprised they're just... I mentioned last week that... Uh, these were designed originally as bookends for Crisis on Infinite Earths. So supposedly, book one and book two may have been Crisis on Infinite Earths 11 and 12 at one point. So I think a lot of the characters that are featured in this are characters that did show up in Crisis on Infinite Earths. So it's almost like, you know, where are they now wow. in this new universe? Okay. So it's kind of like a nod to that, I would think. Yeah, I just think it's interesting, like Justin said, that they included them just because... Unlike the Fantastic Four, they had, like, no powers. They were just scientists. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. Ace pilots, ace race car drivers. Yeah. Stuff like that. They were like the Power Rangers without Sentai powers. <laughs> and then the, the last panel off to the right features Dolphin. So eventually she went off to uh, dick around with uh, Aquaman <laughs> and Tempest. Yeah. Talk about, you know, Starfire. What about this chick down here? 
I think we've got Dolphin mentioned for the same reasons as we do uh, the uh, Challengers of the Unknown. You know, that she was hanging out with Brainiac and, and all these other guys in Crisis on Infinite Earths. Oh, and also another quick George Perez shout-out. As beautiful as art can be, the man does some good cheesecake, too. Yeah, Dolphin looks good. She looks good, and she's got all the little Perez bubbles and stuff. And she's swimming along with the Sea Devils. So that's another group of DC underwater explorers that frequently hang out with guys like Aquaman because they're underwater. <laughs> they gotta be friends. Under yep. the sea. Under the sea. <laughs> so uh, I guess uh, you know on the the right side of the page um, we we've now entered officially the Silver Age of heroes, and so you know I guess here they're they're kind of saying that the Justice League was inspired now you know, by the All-Star Squadron and the Justice Society. So here, it's kind of interesting because this is, I guess, coming into an era where, you know, John Byrne's like, oh, no, Superman's not part of the Justice League, and, and George Perez is like, oh, no, Wonder Woman's not part of the Justice League. And then the Justice League editors are like, we, we feel sorry for you, uh, or then the Batman writers are like, we feel sorry for you, Justice League editors, and they let Batman be part of the team. I guess if anybody's read the the Mark Wade Justice League miniseries, it's more like that. You've got Martian Manhunter, Aquaman, Barry Allen, Flash, uh, Batman, and Hal Jordan, Green Lantern, and then kind of off to the 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 outskirts of the image. You know, the Justice League logo that has those five as the founding members of the Justice League of America. Then on the outskirts, you can see Green Arrow and the Atom and Hawkman, who all you know invariably join the Justice League. At later dates, you know, they're they're clearly important members of the league, but they're not founding members, so they don't get a spot in that that center logo and everything. And then this right here, I'm going to go apeshit over, completely apeshit over, because I'm going to just point out that now, in terms of history, we're getting into the formation of the Teen Titans, because what is the most important comic book at DC right now, of course, but the Teen Titans. So they have to tell you, like, oh, hey, by the way, all these Justice League members had teen sidekicks, and they all formed a super team, right? What's that chick well, you know what? <laughs> fucking Wonder Girl is there. But you know what? Wonder Woman hasn't even fucking shown up yet. Okay? And that's that's what always, like, drove me nuts, because in the new, you know, in the post-crisis continuity, even in Zero Hour, they would kind of detail this, because as we'll see later in the, uh, in, in this chronology of, of, the DC history with Harbinger, Wonder Woman debuts to the public at the end of the miniseries Legends. But by that point, Wally West is the Flash. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, how could Wally West hang out with Wonder Girl, who's like the kid sidekick of Wonder Woman, if Wonder Woman... Ah! <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're already on our third Flash anyway, by the time she shows so, up. Yeah. So yeah, but I, I just want to I just wanted to get that off my chest because it always has driven me absolutely insane. But yeah, so the Teen Titans are banding together. They're you know Robin, um, Aqualad, Kid Flash, you know Wally West, some people's favorite, absolute favorite version of the Flash, um, and and Donna Troy, Wonder Girl are, are teaming up for the first time. And then uh, at the bottom we've got kind of a little more ominous drawing with uh, Will Magnus all in silhouette. And then you've got all these uh, robots here getting, I guess, implanted with their personalities. They're all sort of on the assembly line, and it's basically the, uh, you know, the, the beginnings, the origins of the Metal Men. Um, I don't know. Did you want to say anything about the Metal Men, Justin? If he's implanting them with their personalities here, does that mean he purposely made Platinum promiscuous the way she is? Yes, <laughs> of course he did. Of course, he did. of course. 
<laughs> I was going to point out one real quick thing before we turn the page. I think it was kind of nice of Perez, as opposed to the original image of Batman he showed, that he's in his blue and grays on this uh, page. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, he definitely looks uh, a lot more traditional, like the traditional sort of Justice League friendly Batman, you know? Yeah, I just thought that was kind of a nice touch. But uh, also, I'm a big fan of the Metal Man, too. Uh, probably not as big as Justin, but I, I'm, I'm going to try to pick his brain for a minute on trivia. Uh, Derek has said that he, they're being implanted with something. You know what the the technology is called. What is it called? Their their ability to be human-like and have emotions? Oh, what is Will Magnus's patented? Yeah. I don't know. There's some kind of patented thing that he... I don't know what it is off the top of my yeah, head. Yeah, it's some long, some long techno babble, but I always thought it was kind of cool. That's why he's yeah. so famous in the DC universe, yeah. Yeah, because he invented that sort of artificial <laughs> intelligence or what have you. Yeah, he, he looks at Hank Pym and goes, Yeah, my robots don't kill people, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my robots, my robots, not only do they not kill people, but they, like, cook me chicken soup I, and they totally want my job. I was going to say, I guess that makes Magnus the forefather of, like, Pym because, like, he, like, got it on with a robot before Pym did or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's yeah. like, the, oh, boy, he's smoking his pipe. This is how you build robots. <laughs> you know? it's like, they're not supposed to kill you. They're supposed to, like, Fetch your slippers and do your laundry, good man. You know. And I made six at once, you lazy <laughs> bastard. <laughs> so, I embarked upon a fresh chapter of experimentation, this time in nanorobotology. And eventually were born the first prototypes of the Metal Men. The Metal Men! <laughs> Gold, iron, lead, tin, mercury, and platinum. The legacy, dreams, and visions of Magnus Laboratories would live on in these new heroes. Awesome. So this next page might be overwhelming to those not indoctrinated in the DC universe, but this is again a uh, this is a double page spread, and uh, all the text um, is is in the center of the page in white, and then surrounding the text in sort of a, a circular venue or motion, you know, are all these various characters. Um, and so you've got, um, you know, Ultra, the multi-alien. I can't believe clearly he's the, on there. He's so obscure. Clearly, clearly <laughs> the most important character in all of the DC universe. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm um, a DC fan. I didn't even know who the hell that was. I was like, the hell is that? <laughs> yeah, clearly the, the most important character ever. Um, and then uh, we've got uh, Bawana Beast looking all uh, introspective and, like, like, really serious. Like, I don't know, like somebody just... Uh, you know, stole his pet chimera or something. Um, we've got, uh, you know, the dial H for hero kid finding the little dial and stuff. Uh, we've got uh, my personal favorite Charlton character, the question, um, looking pretty cool in a cityscape. Um, and then we've got, I guess, Prince Rawman and Eclipso. And I guess Eclipso got really big later on. I mean, you know, here these characters were just kind of like characters that showed up in House of Secrets. And, you know, Eclipso, I guess, at that point was more of a – I'd say he's more of a Green Lantern villain maybe. You know, like he showed up in some of Green Lantern's issues occasionally. But then, you know, later on down the line, especially in the 90s when they did the big Darkness Within crossover yeah, and everything. Yeah, that was huge. You know, then, then Eclipso was like, you know, a big bad, and he played chess with Darkseid, and he became like a really, really huge deal. Got all drawn by Bart Sears and stuff, yeah. Yep, yep. He had the big pecs, and uh, I, I, I would think it'd be cool. I mean, I know they made the classic version of Eclipso with the DC Universe classics, but I'd, I'd kind of be interested to see a, you know, a quote-unquote Bart Sears 
you know, I guess Wrath of God, Eclipso, or whatever you want to call them. You, know, what? Like, you mean you don't? <laughs> you mean you don't want a Gene Loring Eclipso, Derek? Oh yeah, yeah, that's what I want. I want a Gene <laughs> Loring. So, in fact, I, I want a Gene Loring action figure with like a flamethrower and um, and uh, 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 a, a little uh, a dead um, suit Dinby that's all like charred away and everything. Yeah, that's what, what kid doesn't want that. Um, she can have an alternate head where she's like. But I did it for you. <laughs> no, it's like it's like uh, uh, evil head with tears, and then like crazy insane head with like <laughs> puppy dog eyes at, at Ray Palmer or whatever. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I guess uh, moving on from Eclipso, um, I guess one of the the bigger, uh, more standout images is uh, is of Dead Man, you know, and that was like Neil Adams type. Uh, you know, goodness back in the day, um, you know, dead man can, of course, uh, you know, possess people, you know, he's, he is dead and he possesses people, you know, spiritually, I guess. So he takes over their bodies and everything like that. And then of course, I guess it's kind of a callback because if you remember what we talked about in book one, um, we were talking about Nandar Parabat and, you know, how I freaked out and uh, that it was mentioned in the TV series Arrow. Well, you can also see in the background, you know, that that also ties heavily into, you know, Dead Man's storyline and the whole, you know, League of Assassins and all that kind of stuff. So you can see that going on in the background of his image. Um, okay. We've got Ant. Oh, yeah, yeah. I want to say his name. Animal Man! <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep, we got Animal Man. Uh, oh, Justin, right. Justin just likes him because he starts wearing a bomber jacket later on. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> he does. Well, yeah, uh, he does. He does. Bomber jacket uh, right, forever. Right below uh, Dead Man's right foot. You know, maybe if he had the bomber jacket, he would be more prominent. But I guess this was before Grant Morrison started writing him. So at that point, he was still just kind of uh, one of the you know forgotten heroes almost. Like he wasn't quite as uh, prominent, but uh, but he did get a mention in this page. Um, and then we've got another Steve Ditko character. Um, you know, right at the the bottom right, we got the Creeper. Who uh, you know? I guess people who who watch uh, Batman the animated series and and stuff like that should be pretty familiar with. I've always given the creeper a lot of credit because he looks completely fucking stupid, but every time he shows up, I love anything he's in. It's an interesting character. Yeah. I mean, I, I think like I I always kind of thought of him as like I, I know this probably might freak people out, but I, I kind of thought of him as like you know, DC Spider-Man in a way, because just not, not in terms of like personality per se, but just, you know, he's kind of like a wacky, crazy character and, you know, he's kind of nimble and, and, you know, is obviously has enhanced, you know, abilities and stuff like that. But, you know, he's also kind of like a little offbeat, you know, a little off kilter. Yeah. I always took him as like a more benevolent Joker who had powers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because in the, Joker miniseries, I think uh, the, one of the people he first encounters is the Creeper. I think it's in like the second or third issue of his miniseries. Like, I think that was one of the... the it's probably the third issue, because I think that was featured in like the greatest Joker stories ever told. So if you ever want to see a, a story where the Joker and the Creeper uh, you know, go at it with each other or whatever, uh, check out the Joker number three. I, I, I'm pretty sure they reprinted the whole 12-issue miniseries as a as a trade paperback, or you could find maybe a old copy of the greatest Joker stories ever told. Cool. Um, 
Now, I think this was, I, I think last week I messed up because I was saying, like, some of those characters might have been Charlton characters, and, like, they probably weren't. They were probably, like, characters from Brave and the Bold, but I think this is a Charlton character, yes. this son of Vulcan guy. But I think last week I was saying that, I, I forget who it was, but it's somebody who appeared in the Brave and the Bold, but I was thinking that it was the son of Vulcan for some reason. So continuing around to the circle, um, we've actually got Metamorpho here, who is the Element Man. Um, and, uh, then, uh, I guess, uh, there's a shout out to, uh, Aquaman's lady love, Mira. She gets her own little passage here as well. Um, we've got, uh, Peter Cannon Thunderbolt, who is another Charlton refugee character per se. I guess it's weird. Like, I guess he was published by Charlton, but the guy who created him is the guy who actually owns him. So I guess that's why Dynamite can publish comics with that character now, even though DC had the licensing for him. So it's interesting. He's part of, you know, their universe's history at this point, but I bet if they made one of these today, like they couldn't use that character. Yeah. Uh, Honestly, he's probably better off at dynamite. Yeah. Off being Ozymandias and changing the world and whatnot. (laughs) And then ominously, like looking kind of sinister in the background. I think this is the most sinister ragman image I've ever seen. Like he's kind of got these beady eyes and he's like staring you down. Like what you looking at Willis or whatever, you know, like (laughs) he's just checking Zatanna out. Well, there, there, there you go. Like Zatanna's fishnet legs are like right in his path of vision. I was gonna let Justin. I was like, I was gonna let Justin handle this one, but there's a very nice and and just like Dead Man is the most prominent image on the right page. Uh, Zatanna, uh, you know, with with her father Zatara, you can see in the background on some mystic stairs that go forever. Um, she's right at the forefront, but you know, tell us some more about Zatanna, Justin. I know, I know, you love you some Zatanna. I do. This is probably my favorite costume of hers too. This classic, you know, top hat, fishnets look. Like I never, I was never a fan of like the cape look from like you know '80s Justice League era. Like I always thought that was kind of goofy. But oh, like uh, the big, huge white cape, yeah. Yeah, like, and I know I said this before. I'm going to keep saying it. Like one of my like favorite books that was a casualty of New Fifty Two was the the Zatanna ongoing. Like that was such a fun book, and I hate that it got killed because of the reboot and didn't get relaunched, but at least she shows up in, like, Justice League Dark and such, but, yeah. That, that was the one that, that Paul Dini was writing? Yes. Okay. I was just going to throw out here, um, if you guys like Metamorpho, I do. I know some people are like, whatever. <laughs> um, Rex Mason had some great character moments in uh, JLE, Justice League Europe. Uh, definitely, if you get a chance, they're cheap in the back issue bins, and He's a very funny yet tragic character, so check check that out. Yeah, I, I like Metamorpho. I've, I've never had... I, I always remembered him mostly from... I mean, I, I remember the issues you're talking about as well, but I always thought it was kind of funny. Like I was like, oh, they made him a member of the Justice League, because I always think of him as like one of Batman's outsiders, pretty much, is kind of how I... That's that's the classic de facto version of Metamorpho to me, in some ways. Yeah. And, and now, apparently, he's been gender-swapped, I guess, in the New 52. Well, I guess I I don't know if I don't know. it's not it's not really metamorpho, but there's a, that character yeah. element woman or whatever. So I mean, that's, I guess I guess that's <laughs> metamorpho. That's, that's their <laughs> version of metamorpho. But but the Adam too is a girl. So yeah. I mean, there's there's lots of characters like that, I suppose. Um, and then and then I guess uh, just to finish off the circle, so we don't uh, you know abandon him, even though he's just a, a plastic man clone. 
Uh, we've Don't got uh, Ralph. Guys. We we got Ralph Dinby, uh, who is is his stretchy neck is circling Ralph. around um, Ultra, the multi alien, and uh, you know he's masked here and everything. But uh, you know, like it, it's interesting because all the the text, you know, it, it gets a little more. Um, spiritual or something or, or inquisitive, you know, cause, cause the, the harbingers kind of going like, what spark, what inner drive, you know, compels all these people to be heroes. It's like, is it being freaky deaky, like ultra the multi alien, you know, is it like, cause you have a stretchy neck like Ralph Dinby, you know, is it, is it cause, uh, you know, you got this fruity red bola, like the creeper, like what, what makes somebody a hero, you know, or whatever. So just, it's, it's kind of interesting. Just to give uh, Ralph a little bit of a shout out before we uh, flip the page. In many issues of various comics, it has actually been stated that uh, good old Ralph was probably the second best detective in the world after Batman. Yeah. Ralph is is a wonderful detective. So. And it, and and if Ralph was here, he would tell you that I've already turned the page. <laughs> so um, so now we're actually looking at some characters that uh, that I think are pretty cool. Um, we got uh, King Faraday who was brutally raped in the Teen Titans games uh, graphic novel that came out, like, right after the New 52, because he was made all evils and shit. But uh, King Faraday's cool. And then we got, like, Sarge Steel, who's kind of like a, a Charlton version of Nick Fury, I guess, is the best way to put it. Um, and then um, and then they basically are detailing, like, the, the reformation of, of the Suicide Squad, and that's uh, headed up by Rick Flagg Jr., who eventually, you know, basically becomes the leader of the the Suicide Squad here later, you'll see in a second. Um, but yeah, I kind of like all those characters. You know, they're all kind of, you know, fighting for their country and doing cool espionage, James Bond type stuff. Um, yeah, one of the cool things about Suicide Squad, especially in the 80s, because this was really unheard of, is it was like villains who were doing quote-unquote good things, but for their own reasons. You know, they wanted to get out of prison or they had to cut a deal. I always thought that was kind of a cool thing. And then here on the uh, the next page, it's kind of interesting. We actually we actually start with uh, I guess because I guess the most prominent thing the Doom Patrol ever did was die because uh, that's yeah. that's what we start with here. You know, we start with the death of the Doom Patrol. You know, I guess that kind of goes into the the inquisitive nature, the line of of uh, Harbinger's inquiry. You know, like oh look at these guys. You know, they they sacrifice their lives to to be you know, heroes and everything. Um, I, but, uh, you know. I, I think it was implied in Mark Wade's like, Justice League Year One, like the Doom Patrol was active before the Justice League, but... Oh, okay. I, okay. I think, I may be remembering that wrong. They, they do a whole lot of stuff with the Doom Patrol. There's like one thing after, I, I can't remember, I, can't, I think it might have been Final Crisis or Infinite Crisis, Infinite I, Crisis. I can't remember which one, one. But they're like, Beast Boy was always a member of Doom Patrol. He never joined never the joined. Yeah, that that's that. Yeah, that sounds like John Byrne. Something he did, I think. Yeah, probably. It, 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 that's something that that always kind of was, you know, if if they re, like when John Byrne redid the Doom Patrol as like a brand new team when the JLA was going on, like that just clusterfucked all kinds of stuff, especially yeah. with Beast Boy, you know, because he's such an integral part of the Teen Titans and the Doom Patrol. So when you sort when you pull out that Changa piece that is Beast Boy, like your whole your whole structure kind of collapses or whatever. Yeah, I will give one shout out real quick though. I don't know why I I, I guess I'm just a sucker for that like kind of like how you are Derek with that old school look. I've always liked Cliff Steele's robot man look. He just looks like an old school robot. 
he, yeah. he does look really cool. Um, you know, I just want to mention because I feel like like a total stupid head for not really understanding this or noticing this for years. But I recently read uh, a great deal of original Doom Patrol. You know, like the original run and everything, like My Greatest Adventure, and and then you know, of course, it became named Doom Patrol eventually after you know proceeding on and the Doom Patrol's popularity, I guess. But if you'll notice, like, you can see Cliff Steele's, I guess, torso and his head, you know, floating yeah. after the death of Doom Patrol and everything. You see that little blue uh, piece that's hanging around his neck or whatever? Like, that's part of all of the Robot Man costumes. I didn't realize that that was a video camera that beamed back images to the Chief. So the Chief was always at home watching their exploits, like, I guess, you know, they always compare the the X-Men, you know, to Doom Patrol. Well, Professor Xavier, he's got mental powers, so he can just, you know, I don't know, astral image his way and be like, hey, dudes, what's up? Like, <laughs> I totally see what's going down with Magneto or whatever. You know, go do this, go do that or whatever. But you're like, how does the chief, you know, the chief's in a wheelchair, too, and he's just you know, a scientist, like a, a really advanced scientist, but how does he communicate with, and I never realized for years, I'm all, oh, that little blue thing is, is the camera, like, and it basically, it's like Skype on, uh, you know. I just started thinking, like, before he made the camera, he was just sitting at home alone, like, I guess I'll play Monopoly again by myself. <laughs> So yeah, I never, I never made that connection before, I guess, because by the time I was reading Doom Patrol comics, the classic image of Cliff Steele, you know, as Robot Man was still kept intact, but there was no chief. So there was no, I mean, they, they never used that camera as far as I can remember in the stories, but it was still like a visual aesthetic. So I never made the connection until I read those old stories. I'm like, oh, that, that actually has a purpose. Yeah. You know? Well, they, they probably kept it because it does break up all that orange, you know, bronze yeah, color. You yeah, know. yeah. So a little bit of blue there. And then, of course, uh, you know, we, we've still got uh, Harbinger, you know, and, and the Monitor sort of observing all these actions and everything. And then we get, like, the most exquisite George Perez two-page double spread of some of the greatest Jack Kirby characters ever created. And again, or, you've or, said this a hundred times, I've said a hundred times, Mike said a hundred times, the man could do splash pages full of characters like nobody else. Yeah, this is awesome. I mean, this is basically all of Jack Kirby's fourth world characters, you know, the new gods. Um, you've kind of got, I guess, these these um, inverted images of High Father and Dark Side, you know, in yellow up at the top. Um, and then, of course, Orion and Calabac are at the forefront about to beat the fucking crap out of each other. <laughs> um, you know, you've got this big epic battle between, you know, the denizens of New Genesis and Apocalypse. You know, you've got Light Ray, like, Zapping Desaad in the ass, you know. You've got uh, you know Lonar swinging his sword, and Granny Goodness is in the back, and Fastbacks running around, and then you've got a separate image of uh, Mister Miracle and Big Barda, and the Forever People are in their own little separate panel and everything. And then off to the left, you got Mantis and Kanto and Metron. You know, it's 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 freaking awesome. So. Yeah, and, and you know the thing is, it's like uh, again, you know, again about George Perez. I know people are probably think we're dating by this point. He he manages to do his own style, but there's so much like Kirbyness about this. It's so cool. 
And I guess I guess we we do have to uh, mention the uh, the elephant in the room, which is the black racer. Yeah, <laughs> and, you know? and in his old school costume, he like got an update yeah. where he was like in all black and kind of grayish tones. And here, he's... yeah, I think I I think that was like in the Superman titles. Eventually, like somebody must have said, "Hey, this is goofy looking." And then and then I think also at the time because in the 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 uh, you know Giffen DiMatteis you know Justice League era or whatever, like they were totally making fun of the Black Racer, and the Silver Surfer at the same time because they made that character that was the herald of, like, Nebula, the fashion designer of the universe. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, come Manga Khan, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, he'd come, you know, he'd come to a planet and, and totally, like, you know, redesign the whole <laughs> yeah, the Scarlet, planet. Scarlet Skier, right? As a diff- yeah, Scarlet Skier. <laughs> so it was always, like, that was, to me, that was always, like, making fun of... of uh, Black Racer's costume aesthetic, and then, you know, the Silver Surfer's, I guess, you know, woe is me, you know, character archetype, where it's like, I am the Surfer, destined to roam the spaceways alone and not be with my beloved Shalabal. Well, uh, my beloved Zenmaha. Uh, <laughs> I have to <laughs> serve my beloved Galactus. Yes. I love everything. The funny thing about the uh, Black Racer, besides the fact he has a really bad costume, and his name is kind of racist... <laughs> Is that uh, his his little origin is he's like a disabled vet, and he got bestowed these powers to ski through the galaxy with ski poles and skis on his feet. And I'm just like, you have to think at some point he's like, I could walk again. Wait, I have to ski every what the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> that's not a trade off. That's that's horrible. <laughs> the new gods are dicks. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I mentioned most of the characters that are on here, but if you look closely, like, you can see Glorious Godfrey's in the background and Forager, and even the old superpower Steppenwolf is, like, right next to Desaad getting his ass blasted by uh, Light Ray. Like, you can see his head popping up from beneath the rubble and stuff. Yeah. So, like, these are just, you know, chock full of, of you know, every, every character in there that you can imagine and stuff. And then this also kind of details the actual history of the New Gods, too, because if you, if you look at the text... Um, this was something that I always wondered about because I had to search and search and search. Like this was one of my white whales was the hunger dogs graphic novel. Cause I got the new gods, uh, mini series, which basically reprinted the old Jack Kirby comics. But what they would do is they put two issues in every issue. So you had a six issue mini series that basically covered the 13 issues of new gods that Jack Kirby did. But by the sixth issue, it was like one, yeah, it, it was like half short. Maybe it was like eleven issues or something. But it like it, it cut short basically. And so Jack Kirby finished off that part of the story, um, and and had new pages in the sixth issue. And then it basically says to be continued in the Hunger Dogs. And I was like, what? Like, what's the Hunger Dogs? You know? And I, you know, eventually over the years, I figured out it was this graphic novel that basically detailed like you know the final battle of the new gods and all this other stuff. But it took me like forever to find that thing and everything. But basically I always knew because, you know, reading other comics, they'd be like, Oh yeah, new Genesis is blown up. And I was like, when did that happen? Superman, you know? And it's like, Oh, this happened in, you know, the hunger dogs graphic novel. So basically, you know, at that point, the planet new Genesis didn't even exist anymore, which is what is detailed down here below. And that, you know, basically by default, in the DC universe, whenever anybody says, oh, yeah, we're going to New Genesis, they actually mean Super they're town. going to Supertown, yeah. you know, because that's all that's left. <laughs> okay, yeah. just just because I have to say this, right when you said this, 
the thing that popped in my mind was, won't you take me to a super town? Super town. Sorry. I mean, I'm, no, that's... I'm entitled to one bad joke a show. Oh, that's awesome, dude. I love it. I love it. So we're, we're moving on to the next page. And then, of course, this is also creating some controversy, I think, because technically they had not really reimagined Brainiac by this point. You know, the John Byrne Superman was just starting up, and he hadn't come up with the wonderfully ingenious idea of making Brainiac a stupid-ass circus performer. <laughs> so that wasn't that wasn't part of continuity yet, the whole Milton Fine, you know, circus monkey Uncle Brainiac. Uncle so, so here we've got, you know, kind of detailing of, of the robot rebellion on Kolu, and, and they talk about Brainiac. So it, it's kind of interesting, actually, because I know, I know, you know, uh, you know, Mike was poo-pooing on Jeff Johns's, you know, new Krypton Brainiac version. But if you go by this, like maybe there really was a really for cools, cool reels Brainiac in the background here, because it's like it's, this is obviously the George Perez designed spaceship from Crisis, even though that was never in. You know, at this point, it was not in any kind of continuity. And of course, that spaceship came back, but by the time it came back, it's like Brainiac was totally redesigned anyway and it didn't make any sense like why does he have that spaceship like it doesn't even look like him whereas originally this was just the spaceship that was shaped like his head yeah. which is kind of interesting like i want to build a, a blimp that's shaped like my head one day and just ride around <laughs> for shits and giggles you know just because you know it's got to take you got to have an ego to to build a spaceship and be like i want it to look like I want it to look like my head. Yeah. That's a good idea. I, I will say one thing, though, Derek, and you probably would agree with me. Like, I guess you would say the, the superpowers slash legends, whatever you want to call it, version of Brainiac, the the head this is taken from and that design, that is my favorite Brainiac look. When I, oh, yeah. When I was a kid, that was Brainiac. That is what he was supposed to yeah. look like, you know? Yeah, I, I, I love that design. I, I kind of wish – I mean, I, I know I'm like – the old guy, but like I wish that was still in use. You know, like I, I love that design of Brainiac, to be honest. And 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 so it's interesting though because I don't really understand the train of thought. With you know, maybe I need to read more Omega Men, or I don't know if this is just made up. But like they're trying to sort of explain Brainiac here in the text because they say like Brainiac's destroyed by the Omega Men, and then there would be a second Brainiac, which basically is trying to reconcile the idea that, like, Brainiac appears in other comic books besides Superman, even though Superman's being rebooted and Brainiac's origins are going to be completely different later on, if that makes any sense. Well, I think it's like, you know, like you said, there's been so many damn versions of Brainiac, it's something they're trying to reconcile, because you have, like, green-skinned Brainiac with three dots on his head, you have the, the, you know, superpowers version that's all robot, and you have Milton Fine, who came later, but still... I think I think they kind of got to that Hawkman point where they're like, let's try to explain why this guy looks so different all the damn time. Well, but the the, the green guy and and this version, the superpowers version, were just the same guy, but he had an upgrade. So I, I never thought it was like all that confusing, but it's just like when they reestablish, you know, basically it's like when they basically try to restart the universe and reboot the universe, but they somehow preserve items that were from the old universe that don't jive up. It's like they just didn't know what they were doing with Brainiac yet. So they put this in here, but it just, it, this is one thing that doesn't quite line it, up. It just seemed like what, a good chance to throw in the Omega Man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what, what people did and everything like that. 
And so I guess, you know, moving on to the second page, um, we've got some kind of more strange off-the-wall heroes again. You know, we've got Will Magnus uh, picking up, I guess, the carcass of uh, poor Robot Man here, of Cliff Steele. <laughs> He's like, I can fix this shit. <laughs> <laughs> and now we've got a, a pretty awesome image of, I guess, quote-unquote, the new Doom Patrol. I guess this would be equivalent, you know, going back to the X-Men analogy, if the... Uh, if the, the poor chaps who died as the Doom Patrol were the OG, you know, original five X-Men, you know, with Cyclops, Angel, Beast, you know, Marvel Girl, and Iceman, you know, this group of the Doom Patrol would be the all-new, all-different X-Men, you know, where you've got Cliff Steele and uh, Tempest and Celsius and Negative Woman instead of Negative Man. I guess that that's an early... 70s gender swap for you, Justin. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I don't think I've read a whole lot from this era of Doom Patrol. Like, I, I probably should because I've kind of ignored it, but I, I honestly don't know much about this era. I will say, like, in the late 80s, early 90s, before uh, he jumped ship, uh, Eric Larson was uh, illustrating Doom Patrol, and I really loved his work on that. I thought it was really good. Yeah, that's that's basically the, the main source of Doom Patrol info I had when I was, you know, growing up, because I remember reading, I guess not necessarily all the Eric Larson stuff, but, you know, they they had, like, the first couple issues were, like, Steve Lytle or whatever, and then I think the issue I read was, like, probably probably a few months after Eric Larson left the book, but it was a tie-in to Invasion, so that's when I was just picking up anything that had, you know, Invasion <laughs> splashed on the cover because I was just being indoctrinated into the whole idea of a crossover, you know, and just picking up whatever had Invasion on the cover, and I went, oh, Aquaman's teaming up with the Sea Devils and the Doom Patrol? I'm like, okay, whatever. Invasion! Like, I'm going to buy it. You know, so. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. And like you said, uh, Derek, even though there's no, you know... <laughs> reason for him to have it right there on the page. He's got the camera right. Yeah, he's got his camera again. I don't know who he's now. Now he's just beaming like you know, sexy images of Celsius and Negative Woman or something. I don't know what he's doing and now. I'm just bored. He's like doing cat videos for YouTube. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's just like. I think his camera is kind of like the camera Kari has in Digimon. It's just there for no reason. They forgot all about it. It's just a yeah, now, design element. Yeah. Now it's now it's just aesthetic and it just stays there. So yeah, um, and then of course they're talking about all these other sort of solo heroes that are exploding onto the scene. Um, you know, you've got uh, you know Thorn who eventually showed up in some of the the Superman comics later on, and you got Black Lightning who uh, you know delivers justice on the hard streets of Suicide Slum in Metropolis, which I always found interesting, because I was like, wouldn't Superman just clean up Suicide Slum? But I guess not, because we got to have uh, Black Lightning there. Yeah, he's to, got uh, pure electricity in his... He, he's got to dole out gritty justice to the streets of Suicide Slum or whatever. Lovely ladies, I give it to you. Black Lightning! Well, girls... How do you like seeing the old man as a cool, butt-kicking crime fighter? And then there's one of my favorite characters, I guess, because of all my, my movie and TV exposure to him. We got Swamp Thing down at the bottom, who's had multiple great, great series. You know, stuff from Alan Moore, even Bissett, Bernie Wrightson. Even now, the whole Scott Snyder stuff, you know, all that stuff is, is great. I heard that Swamp Thing is amazing. <laughs> you are amazing! <laughs> I just thought you it was make everything groovy. I just like the fact that the Swamp Thing actually got like movie in like the eighties, like after Superman. It was like he was like the second guy to get like a major DC movie. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess major if you consider like a low budget Wes Craven horror movie, like uh, you know. It's got a cult following. It was the first one yeah, was yeah, pretty I good. Guess. I mean, I watched it. I just I, I don't know how prevalent it was in the public consciousness or whatever. I remember I remember you know getting all excited because Return of Swamp Thing was coming out in the theaters. <laughs> I was like, yeah, we got to go watch this. And my dad's kind of like, what? And like, and then I said, no, we got to go watch it. Return of Swamp Thing. And he's like, well. I think I think he was like telling people he's like yeah I, I guess I'm watching this for the Heather Locklear chick or whatever <laughs> like I don't know why we're watching this exactly. Hey man, by the way, fan holes listeners, I don't feel ashamed saying this, but uh, Derek's got a giant swamp thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the the San Diego Comic Con exclusive is where I come by my my giant size swamp thing. Actually, you know what's funny is I don't know maybe by the time this airs. This will be totally out of date information, but like Big Bad Toy Store had a bunch of those for like super, super ridiculously cheap at one point. So yeah, yeah, it was like they were like thirteen or fourteen bucks or something. I was like, wow, you know, like that's. I mean, it doesn't come with the the unmen or whatever, but but it's still that you know that huge Swamp Thing figure or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I guess moving on from uh, from Swamp Thing, we're we're moving on to the next page where we've got tons and tons of. Other characters as well. Uh, we got uh, Paul Kirk, Manhunter. So I guess this kind of ties into the whole, you know, the Manhunters that um, that the Guardians sent out. But this is the sort of action hero, sometimes villain, sometimes hero Manhunter, I guess. He had a great backup in Detective Comics that was done by Walt Simonson. And then I, I remember reading the Secret Society of Supervillains, and it was really weird because he would, like, show up and try to, like, lead them at some points. And I was kind of like, that's... I don't know how it was like. I, it was kind of confusing. Like they didn't know what they wanted to do with this character, but I guess eventually, you know, Walt Simonson kind of, you know, had his. It was almost like he he made him his own, you know, and he did kind of like this penultimate quote unquote daredevil run, where by the end of it he was dead, and then you know, anytime they tried to reuse the character again, it was always like a clone or something, you know, like you know, basically like in the Power Company, you know, he showed up as like a. He was kind of like a Ben Riley version of Manhunter, where, like, instead of having the red in the costume, I think it was, like, all black or something like that. So he looked, you know, slightly different, kind of like a Scarlet Spider version of uh, of Manhunter, you know? Yeah, and if you notice, like, even with all the extra additional stuff he has added to his costume, he basically has, like, the basic Manhunter outfit underneath it all. And then this is, this is I guess, a true test of... Uh, DC lore and ability here, which I'm not exactly sure that I will succeed in, but they don't really list the characters' names, because at this point, you know, uh, Harbinger is kind of, you know, what makes a hero a hero? Is it the super people or the ordinary people? And here, I guess they're trying to celebrate the quote-unquote ordinary people. So you got Paul Kirk Manhunter at the top, and then you've got the Charlton character, the Peacemaker, at the bottom, which I guess is the inspiration for the character Comedian from Watchmen and everything. But in the center... I think you've got all these private eyes, like all these detectives and stuff. And we're talking about how Ralph Dinby's maybe, you know, the second greatest detective after Batman in the DC universe, the right? The fourth, fifth, sixth, well, seventh, and eighth. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, right? You got you got Harvey Bullock. Um, you've got uh, the the girl is Johnny Thunder, who basically is like a modern gender switched version of Johnny Thunder from the Justice Society. That's why she's got like the little Thunderbolt girl you know, flying really past. Sad. I actually knew that one. That's one of the ones I knew. <laughs> Um, I think the rest of them are all detective comics type characters. Um, one of them has to be the guy who became Owl Man. Um, what, what was his name? Something Junior 
Roy Thomas Jr. I don't know something. So it was something Roy Raymond Jr. Something like that. I think it's Roy Raymond Jr. Because like the old guy is probably Roy Raymond, the one on the right, and then the one on the left is probably Roy Raymond Jr. And then the other guy's probably from GPCD or something like that. GCPD. Mm. I don't know. Maybe. I'm not sure. I'm not sure who the guy next to him is. Hey, maybe it's Turpin. (laughs) (laughs) He was younger back then. It's possible. (laughs) But yeah, so um, so we got these you know quote unquote ordinary people, these ordinary detectives, and then of course then here we've got uh, Firestorm and Firehawk. I was always a big fan of Firestorm. So and and seeing George Perez, George Perez actually designed the uh, the Firehawk costume up there. It, is it, Firehawk it, it, just it, like a, a chick who got the same powers from Firestorm or something? Um, not from Firestorm, but but she kind of has that same kind of you know nuclear powered oh. type oh. abilities or what have you. I think she's more like you know it, it's kind of like um, when uh, when the Human Torch was hanging out with uh, Frankie Ray or whatever, like like okay, yeah. kind of like a female Human Torch, and then she became Nova. So it's kind of like in the original comics, Fire um, Firehawk had this. Um, it, it, it was not as cool looking. Like she had her original costume was kind of purple and and yellowish or whatever. And then by Crisis on Infinite Earth, she gets like this power upgrade, and then you know as a result, it's kind of like that blue flame and new costume, and it it looks really great. Like I mean, I you know besides just Perez doing really good, you know images of of superheroes and stuff, he designed some pretty cool costumes too. So yeah, not like when Rick became Kid Abomination. <laughs> yes, a bomb or whatever. Yeah. 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 Um, so of course we've got Rimco Superstar Warlord. <laughs> Hell and yeah! You, you notice they they you know decided to leave out the vinyl cape on that one. Yeah, they did. They did. So he he, he looks bitching. He's Travis a, Morgan, you know. The 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 Warlord guy was kind of like at one point. Didn't they kind of do like more or less a Savage Land thing where he was in a you know? Well, I, I guess that that land he lives in, Sicaris or whatever. Like it seemed like it was that way by default. Like, it was kind of this sword and sorcery fantasy, you know, fantastic world. Kind of like when Tarzan would go to the center of the Earth, like, at the equator. You know what I mean? Like, it just seemed like, oh, it's on Earth, but you have to, like, you know, (laughs) snuggle through an ice crack, and then all of a sudden it's, like, it's super hot, and there's a separate sun and And dinosaurs dinosaurs, and and cool shit, you know, and you're just like, oh, okay, whatever. And what the shit? Wolverine's here for no reason. (laughs) Yeah, you're like, all right, whatever. And then, of course, uh, we got uh, my my favorite comic ever, Gem, Son of Saturn. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't have anything to say about some of these guys. Just kind of like the Atomic Knight and Baron Winters and, and Gem, Son of Saturn, like guys that, I, that I'm not too excited about, I guess. I don't know. Does anybody dispute me or, or have anything to say about any of these guys? I will say that as far as goofy-ass costumes, Atomic Knight is ranking pretty fucking high. Yeah, it's like, I think Atomic Knight was a, I want to say it was a Jim Aparo thing, maybe, but I'm not 100%. Yeah, like, I've, I've, I've never even heard of these guys. Were these guys that were, like, were they planned to, like, do something major with, like, once Crisis was over, or just... Mm, Warlord had his own series, like, for a long time, yeah, but he was more like terrible. a, he's more like a sword and sorcery guy. He, yeah, so, like, as close as DC got to Conan, basically. I've heard yeah. of Warlord before, but like, yeah, like Baron Winters well, and 
whoever the yeah, other guy is. Jim Jim was supposed to be like a kid version of Martian Manhunter. He had a twelve issue like maxi series, but he really didn't take off. I think the Atomic Knight I, I don't remember where the Atomic Knight showed up in. I wanna say he was a Jim Aparo designed guy, but I'm not a hundred percent on. And then Baron Wintors is the guy he's kinda like um I don't know, like the Doctor Strange of DC, I guess. He almost looks like Barnabas Collins from Dark Shadows. You know, like, like, because he <laughs> basically led the Night Force, which, which was kind of like, like uh, probably like, like freaking, you know, what do you call those guys? guys? The, the Night, Night Stalkers? Stalkers you know? like, like, they're, they're not very high <laughs> totem level characters. Oh, or like, uh, 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 shit, that comic that came out after uh, Infinite Crisis, like uh, the Shadow yeah, yeah. Attack, yeah. Like the yeah, they're kind of like the Shadow Pact or or uh, what what was that one Primal Force or something that came out after Zero Hour? Like all those kind of yeah, you know they're, they're more like magic based outcast yeah. comics or whatever you know. So uh, Derek, I, I think on the next page, I, I think it's only fair we let Justin take the uh, first uh, first take at uh, what he sees. Come with me to a land far, far away called Gym World, where on Earth, if you're an 11 year old girl, you become a grown ass woman of 18, and you have grown ass men chasing after you, and it's kind of weird and creepy. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, uh, Amethyst's uh, recent discovery of mine that I've talked about before numerous times, and you know, it's basically like. She-Ra or, you know, Captain Marvel for girls. And for some reason, whenever I think of, like, 80s comics, like, Amethyst springs to my mind, like, the first thing. I don't know why. She's got a good design. I like her outfit. Yeah. Maybe it's just, like, a a lamb thing. You know, like, the 80s lamb lamb or something. Yeah, that that might be it. But, yeah, sadly, her... Uh, ongoing in the new 52 was canceled only after I think like eight issues, which is a shame because I wasn't a fan of it to begin with. Like the first two or three issues, I was like, I don't know. But then towards the end, like they brought in Eclipso and like they were doing some interesting things. Like she was interacting with Constantine and Justice League Dark, and I was like, man, this is getting pretty interesting. And they're like, oh no, you're canceled. Like we'll give Batwing 20 issues or whatever. But no, not sort of sorcery, no sir. I guess I guess, I guess sword, sword and sorcery, sorcery doesn't get uh, mini reboots like, like a lot of these other titles end up with. Bat- Batman should have just shown up shown and like kicked like her like ass or something. That would have given it a sales boost. You shut your mouth. He's like, hey, uh, I heard Gem World's pretty cool. <laughs> She's wearing a skirt. She should have fishnets. So, meanwhile, with uh, smiley face castles in Gemworld, um, we're, we're moving down the page here, and um, I we've got. That till now. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, I'm like, what's up with the smiley face castle? It's like, I'm happy to see you. Like, hey, if, yay, if, magic! If Snake Mountain can have a weird face on it, so can uh, Gemworld. No, no, no. I'm, I'm. I, I think it only makes sense because clearly, like the portal she's going through is full of a bunch of boring shit. It's like a lamp and some drawers and probably some stupid vinyl records and blah, blah, blah. And then, ooh, magical gem world with like smiley castles and probably. I bet you they have like jelly babies on the trees. You know, if it's Justin's Wonder World, you know, it's like and like uh, uh, fountains, fountains of tacos. Ain't and, no like, fucking cow you know, is hiding somewhere behind one of those fucking bushes. 
Yeah, yeah. So I bet you... I bet you Jim World has all kinds of cool stuff like that. Take this. You're really gonna need that. Oh, it can't be. Are you Prince Topaz? I thought he was just a character I created in a game. Nope, I'm real. Right here in the flesh. And bones, thanks to Dark Opal. I think I've been running across his spells a lot. I'm Amy. Amethyst here, I guess. Princess Amethyst. But uh, in the meantime, we've got uh, Azeroth, you know, in, in below, which uh, is detailing the, the sad, sullen life of Raven, who is sitting there looking sullen in, in Azeroth, which, again, ties into the new Teen Titans. Um, you, know, you know, obviously, after Raven's mom, mom won that Cracker Jack prize, Trigon showed up in the bedroom, <laughs> uh, you know, it led to uh, to the birth of Raven. Here, Nine months later, now you a, got a demon baby. <laughs> who's now a full-fledged Teen Titan, I guess. Um, and then uh, we, we've also got um, Halo, who was uh, a member of the Outsiders, who was kind of a weird, interesting character. Whenever you know? I think of her, whenever I see her, I think of that Power Pack character from Marvel. Ah, ah oh yeah, okay. Lightspeed yeah. or yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, that that she does seem similar to that. I mean, they're both young girls. You know, they were both like that character always seemed to be designed to be like. Hey, I'm into jazzercise or like whatever the the, the, the hippest thing was at the time. Where it's like, like, like I imagine if Halo was around in the '60s, she'd be like, "Check it out, Batman! I just got a pet rock." It's like, that's great, Halo. <laughs> She's like, I just heard the new Bangles album. It's time to fly into space. Yeah, yeah. Is her favorite uh, video game Halo? Um, like well, if, if, in, if, if, in the early like two thousands, if she was around, yeah, yeah, yes, yes. She's like, if, I named my superhero it. name after the most popular video game available. Yeah, that's that's exactly what happened in the early two thousands. Outsiders book, you didn't read that, yeah. Beneath here, we've got uh, Shade, the Changing Man, who um, you know he had his own series in the seventies. Uh, he eventually went on to have his own Vertigo title. There was a pretty cool DC Nation short that just came on featuring him, and at this point in time, I guess he would become a, a, a valued member, uh, quote-unquote, of uh, the Suicide Squad. The next page, yeah. oh my god. Yeah, well, we, we're dealing with the shizzy zizzy zazam in the hizzy his house. Well, it's it's Captain Marvel, you know, not Shazam, but... Yeah, a lot of, uh, just for anybody listening, there's a lot of big hubbub to do because at one point he was called Shazam, I mean, Captain Marvel, and then Shazam, then Captain Marvel, then Shazam, blah, blah, blah. And basically Marvel said you can't use the name Marvel, and then they said, call him Shazam. And they're like, okay, fine, because that's what he says but, when he but, turns. But, the, but what the big hubbub was back in the day was they were still calling him Captain Marvel back here. Was The big hubbub was he wasn't going to be based out of Fawcett City. Some creepy guy asked him into the subway in San Francisco, and apparently Shazam was kicking it in San Francisco. Um, and then Captain Marvel made San Francisco his home. So, well, the, the original uh, change for his name was going to be the San Francisco Treat, but they didn't really want to go with that. So. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a he's minute! Like, like, Wait a minute! <laughs> Billy, Tony, Billy Beth. you were only allowed one lame joke, and you've already used it tonight. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> I demand this be exorcised from the show's recording. <laughs> <laughs> what if what if Billy Batson's like Rice-a-roni <laughs> That's how he transforms. Captain Side Dish. Um, <clears throat> one one good thing I will say about Shazam. One thing I really like about how they retconned Superman 
his house, your man is vulnerable to magic. And Shazam, since he's so par- powerful, you know, it's always like, could he take Superman? And since Shazam is, you know, pretty much a magic character, that gives him a really good out to not only be powerful, but to take on Superman and not have either one of them look like a wuss. I always kind of like that little dichotomy there. So uh, moving on, um, we're, we're dealing with finally, after all the buildup, after all the hype, all the extravagant backstory and origins, we've finally got a big spread page of the new Teen Titans. Um, you know, we, we basically, you know, and, and mind you, just just for my indulge me, Wonder Woman Still hasn't appeared yet in the fucking DC universe. <laughs> and Donna Troy is like 21 years old. And Donna old. Troy's like right up front like, yo guys, what up, Donna Troy, 12 snaps, you know, or whatever. Meanwhile, like, Speedy's like, been shooting up and has already kicked the habit, and Wonder Woman still yep, hasn't showed yep. up. And Wonder Woman still hasn't showed up yet. And Speedy, Speedy's <laughs> like getting jiggy with it with Cheshire as we speak. Jericho's already Wonder showed up and died. Jericho's already showed up and betrayed. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah, we got we got Hawk and Dove and 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 Tula's on her way to the deathbed here pretty soon. We can see her doing a handstand at the bottom with Aqualad. <laughs> you know, uh, we got Raven in her uh, pristine virgin white outfit or whatever. Um, you know, we got Lilith and uh, Azrael, and that's not to be confused with uh, Batman's Azrael, but uh, Is it the to new be confused Titans. with the uh, Justice League Azrael. No, that's not uh, Israel. That, that's uh, no, that, that guy was Zoriel. Zoriel, so. yeah, yeah, all these. But it is not to be confused with Gargamel's cat, Azrael. <laughs> I, I, so, so you've got all these characters, right? And then, of course, everybody's favorite, yours, mine, the entire world's Starfire is uh, floating around with her hair, leaving a trail. Uh, you know, we got, of course, Garfield, Logan, Beast Boy. We got Nightwing and his his cool, awesome hip 80s threads, which this is always interesting because I guess, you know, technically they're saying like, you know, they, they basically tried to preserve all kinds of new Teen Titans history. But if you actually think about it, like Nightwing's origin, like half of it, 50% of it slowly rests or solely rests on the idea of Superman because the name Nightwing is a name that comes from Krypton. And Nightwing and Flamebird are actually two creations of Superman. It was basically like the Batman and the Robin of Kandor, and it was Superman and Jimmy Olsen basically going out and fighting crime like Batman and Robin in Kandor. So when Kandor is kind of wiped away away by the whole John Byrne uh, reboot, then, you know, I'd say like 50% of of Nightwing's origin, you know, his reason for picking that name, because he went, oh, I want to, you know, Dick Grayson was like, I want to, you know, reflect both my mentors and you know given all the issues of world's finest comics at the time he was like well not only is batman one of my well-respected mentors but superman is as well so he basically designed the nightwing costume to reflect both of them and i think you know that sort of gets lost in translation i think later on in the dc universe weren't there like chick versions of nightwing and uh Flamebird or whatever, uh, going around Candor. Was it like uh, well, um, Power Girl they, and, oh, and and Cassandra? For a while, that was them, but yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that, that is that, much later. This is after this book takes place. Obviously, this is like a couple years ago. I was just referencing then, the fact that they like that actually has Superman ties because she was being called Nightwing. So. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, and then and then of course got uh, you know. 
the Dark Knight detective who is, I guess, kind of, you know, prominently featured uh, because he's he's basically responsible for creating the team The Outsiders, and The Outsiders are totally featured in full force up here at the top. We've got Geoforce, who is kind of in one of his more lamer costumes with the big GF on his chest. Um, <laughs> Go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> We've also got Halo again, but now she's not in her rainbow colors or whatever. She has her costume update, which looks more like she's in like some kind of... Oh, she joined the know, Future Foundation. She's cool. Some jumpsuit or whatever. And then, of course, Metamorpho and Black Lightning join the team mm-hmm. along with Katana... And uh, my favorite is uh, Looker uh, from The Outsiders because she, you know, she's a redhead and she's super hot. And she was in the Mud Pack, which is like one of my favorite Batman stories ever. So. I actually read that one, yeah. And, and her, her power is really cool. She looks at you and she makes you do whatever the hell she wants you to. Yeah, she's hot. Later on, I guess they made her uh, a Twilight character before Twilight was hip and cool back in the 90s because she actually ended up becoming a vampire. And I think... There's supposed to be some New 52 comics with her where she's a vampire, probably, because of all this True Blood, Twilight, you know, stuff that's going on. Yeah, and, and just for current day relevancy, uh, Katana is going to be showing up in uh, Beware the Batman, so... And and she's also part of the Justice League of America in the New 52, yep. so cool. there's that as well. So, I guess, uh, beneath the image of Batman, uh, who, you know, they're all encloaked in his cape, uh, basically, I guess it's what you call the Justice, Justice League of Detroit. Detroit. And so that's kind of like the era of Justice League that's just after, you know, the Satellite League. And is right before the whole giffen Mateus era or what have you. You know, some of the original members that are trying to hold the Justice League together, I guess, would be Aquaman and Batman and even Elongated Man and Martian Manhunter. But the, the newer members of the team... Or, I, you know, even Zatanna, too. But but the newer members of the team, you know, are, uh, you know, Steel, Gypsy, Vixen, and, of course, Vibe! Vibe! So, <laughs> yeah, so we got these guys going on and stuff. I, you know, it's funny, like, I know I know a lot of people, you know, or there, there's some people who have soft spots for these guys. I think the best story I ever read with them was, like, in a, uh, uh, they had that JLA classified comic book. And I think eventually they had a uh, a story in there that I thought was pretty cool. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it always reminded, like, this era of Justice League is basically comparable to Bomber Jacket's Avengers to me. <laughs> I like, like both. Like, yeah. yeah, I know. I know you do. I know you do, Justice. <laughs> I actually but, uh, have a soft spot for Gypsy just because uh, one of my favorite JLI uh, series, like, a, a, it was about four issues long. Uh, it's Martian Manhunter. He he's kind of taken on a father figure role father for Gypsy, a role for Gypsy, and, and the Spiro comes Spiro. back and fucks up everything. And it was a really good story with uh, Manhunter and Gypsy because he kind of calls, calls her back. She's not a member. Not a member. He just remembers her from the Detroit days. And the uh, Spiro comes back and kills her parents, her adoptive parents, and he's like, he's all like, you know. You fuck with my daughter, I'll fuck with you. And it's a really good Despiro uh, Manhunter uh, story. So check that out if you uh, get a chance. Was that was that in the just the regular uh, what international comic or? No, uh, uh, might be uh, might be yeah. I think it was international. I don't think it was JLA. I think it was JLI. It was the, it was the Giffen to Mattis era, but it was later on. Okay. Okay. 
Yeah. So moving on to the next page, here we basically have the Global Guardians. So these were all the kind of uh, various superheroes from different countries, you know, across the globe. I feel really bad and, that I know who a lot of these people are. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, like, the, you know, the characters are not uh, unknown. I mean, they first showed up in the Super Friends comic of all places. I, I thought it was kind of funny, but, uh, you know, they were they were heavily featured in that comic book, not only in their first appearance, but subsequent appearances. And then they showed up a, a good deal in that, that Giffen DiMatteis, you know, Justice League America, Justice League Europe, Justice League International era of comic books and everything. Of course, they were often being mind-controlled by the um, the Queen Bee and stuff. Yeah, so they were never uh, Jack-O-Lantern, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they were never always presented as good guys in that era, I guess. But, um, you know, it, it, basically here it's it's very spelled out. I mean, you've got the each hero, you know, a profile shot of them, you know, the flag of their country of origin behind them, and then, you know, a number that basically, you know, clues you in on their name and who the hell they are. So, you know, in the case of, like, Godiva, she's number two, she's behind a British flag, and then you look down at the number two and it tells you, hey, her name's Godiva, you know, uh, you know, Green Flame, who later became Fire in the uh, Justice League, you know, Ice like, Maiden she is Ice. from Brazil. Yeah, yeah. So, well, actually, that Ice Maiden, I don't think, is Ice. Oh, is that not, uh, yeah. God, what's that's her not, name? Goodman's That's Blur. not, uh, Tora or whatever. That's not the same. She's not same a chick that guy banged. You know, yes. That's, that's accurate. She is not the chick that guy banged. So, yeah, you've got all these guys. You know, of course, a lot of these guys were summarily executed in Cry for Justice, and I did not shed a tear in the least. So, yeah. no, no big deal. I, I didn't, you know, I'm not, like, all sad or anything like that. Uh, you do have, I guess, a nod to uh, another New Teen Titans character. Red. Red Star is kind of prominently featured there at the bottom and stuff. And then I guess moving on to the next page, um, I guess now we're, we're getting into, like, a lot of characters that had solo series at DC at the time or were featured, you know. Like, we've got the Blue Devil, who had his own ongoing series for a while. Um, Airwave is... Um, is actually Hal Jordan's like cousin or something like that. I was say, he looks like, like a white static. <laughs> yeah, he. Um, I'm trying to remember what his first name is, but like I, I know he's he's a Jordan, so he's actually loosely related to Hal Jordan. Um, you got the uh, the second vigilante, not the cowboy vigilante, but the kind of Punisher esque. Uh, you know, shoot you in the face, um, vigilante. I will um, I'll mention mine real quick before you hit him, just because I love this character. Red Tornado. Yep. Yeah, I know. I know. Justin loves loves him some Red Tornado as well. I just want to say that. Go ahead with the rest. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! That's that's fine. I, I I that's why I was figured we were talking about this. If anybody has any awesome things to say about Red Tornado, now is the time to let loose. Um, all I'll say because Justin probably has more to say, and I'll let him go further. I just had the superpower character. I always liked him. He had a really cool design. I just thought he was badass, and uh, especially, especially the few episodes of uh, Young Justice I saw, he was a great mentor kind of character. So. Yeah, he filled that role pretty well. I mean, that that was something that Peter David, I guess, introduced in his Young Justice cost or costume, his Young Justice uh, comic book. You know, the idea of, of Red Tornado being a mentor to all the the kids in Young Justice. You know, he was kind of like their their supervisor or their um, you know, their sponsor, I guess, if you will, you know. I, I always thought he just had, like, a neat 
costume, and then when I found out he was actually like a robot, I'm like, well, that makes him even cooler because I like guys like you know the Vision and whatnot. So I'm like, yeah, he's like the yeah. Vision of DC because he's always trying to have a family and you know whatnot and such. And he, he is, he really is the Vision of DC. But Kurt Busiek did a, a miniseries with, with a Red, Red Tornado. Tornado. Pretty cool. Cool. For, for fans of Kurt Busiek, like yourself, Michael, maybe maybe you should some 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 red red for Dan. Hint, hint. <laughs> nod, nod, <laughs> wink, wink. I'm not getting you. What? <laughs> you're be, we're being vague. Less, you're gonna have to be less subtle. It's like you're you're breaking up. We can't hear you over the chat. Um. Uh, then of course I guess we'll we'll move up the the trail up to the left. Uh, we got Black Orchid, who I guess at this point would become another prominent uh, member of the Suicide Squad. But uh, I I know she went on to have like some Vertigo stuff. Is she still a member of Justice League Dark? Um, I think so. I can't remember. Okay. Because like she was prominent for a while, and then it felt like she just kind of was put in the background a little bit. Okay. And uh, I guess the the last uh, hero on this page we see is uh, Power Girl, which uh, is kind of interesting because, you know, technically, you know, in the original uh, story, you know, Power Girl comes from Earth 2, and uh, she is, you know, basically that version of, or that universe's version of Supergirl. But once they did this uh, reboot and Superman was basically the only Kryptonian, uh, I guess they wanted to preserve the character of Power Girl, you know, and, and keep her in the DC universe, but they, they severed all her connections and ties to Superman. So at this point, uh, she ended up getting like a four-issue miniseries where they tied her into Atlantis. And so it was like, I think uh, Arion was like supposed to be like her grandfather or some shit, and, you know, like all this kind of, you know, sword and sorcery kind of mystic mumbo-jumbo type stuff. I don't know how they, that got her Kryptonian powers exactly. I was never really on board with that, but uh, that that's kind of how they, they reconciled keeping the character but not giving her any Kryptonian ties. And then I guess below, this is the first introduction we have to the idea of the anti-monitor. So, uh, you know, basically this is kind of going to lead into this next page here with this awesome two-page spread, which is basically the the big money shot of uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths. And I guess this is how it played into uh, the new history of the DC Universe, you know. I, I mean, they're still, they're still talking about multiple universes and multiple Earths, but I guess the way I always sort of reconciled it in my head was nobody really remembers that. Like, all they remember was the skies turned red, and there was this really big fight. You know what I mean? So, like, that's that's kind of how I always saw it. I always figured they kind of men and blacked it to where people were like, okay, I saw this happen, but there's no way that could happen. That's just crazy, you know? Yeah. And then here they, they're also chronicling, like, all the, the heroes that died during crisis. you got Superman's favorite mermaid, Lori Lamaris. Green Lantern's favorite bird friend sidekick guy, Tomari. The original Dove. Cole from the New Teen Titans. The Immortal Man, that dude that's supposed to live forever and ever, like that was hanging out with Vandal Savage way back in the caveman days, dead. Prince Raw Man, Man, that, that, that lame, lame dude, dude that was hanging out next to uh, Eclipso, he's dead. dead. Uh, Prince, Prince Gavin, Gavin, Prince Gavin Starman, Aqua Girl, Tula finally bites the dust, and then of course uh, you, you, know, you got, got Barry, Barry Allen. Allen. 
making his supreme sacrifice. And and the, you notice they don't mention Supergirl because Supergirl Girl. never existed. Ooh. She was <laughs> a figment of my imagination. <laughs> yeah. So, it's interesting. I thought it was nice that they gave uh, Barry a, a single panel by himself. That was cool. See Wally like slightly in the background. He's like, "You dead, sucker! <laughs> I'm taking over your book, bitch." <laughs> yeah, he does. He does kind of look angry there. He's giving him like the the Wally eye or something. He's like, you know, looking at him or whatever. What, what? Does Does anybody else have anything to say about Crisis on Infinite Earths in particular while we're while we're on here or anything? Like, has has everybody read Crisis on Infinite Earths, or are there are there fan holes out there who have never experienced the grandeur and glory that is Crisis on Infinite Earth. I, I will say it beat Marvel to the punch as far as the big crossover event. That was like, that was the biggest one at that point. Yeah, because I mean, I, I know, like, you know, Marvel had uh, Contest of Champions was probably like the first, quote-unquote, big thing with like tons and tons of people in a miniseries. And even Secret Wars, you know, in its own way, it was a toy tie-in, it was a big maxi-series and had a bunch of guys fighting but a bunch had, of guys. It had no ramifications. But, this was like big. Well, I think I think, you know, certain titles like, I think Secret Wars had some ramifications, but I think I agree with what you're saying in the sense that, you know, Crisis on Infinite Earths, and, and, you know, this may be to the detriment of it, because I, I remember when I pointed this out to some people, they'd be like, what? You mean Crisis did all this shit? Which is, this was the first thing that tied into, like, every fucking comic. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, not only was there the 12-issue, you know, maxi-series, but it's like, you know, for the whole year, every All-Star Squadron book had a Crisis label on the top of it. Yeah, you know, like, it like, all these book, comics had yeah. it was, tie-ins to it. It was a book, like, you know, John plants his ass against a tree. It was like, Crisis crossover, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's like, if, if, you know, it's like, even Jonah Hex, you'd think, like, what the hell does Jonah Hex really have to do with Crisis? Like, yeah, he was in Crisis, and he was there, but if you read, like, Jonah Hex's original 92-issue run, like, I forget what issue it is, like, 80 or... 70 or something like that there's like because basically the editorial mandate was hey you know what stick this monitor guy into your comic book we don't care how you do it just put him in the comic book for like one issue and so even in the middle of jonah hex it's like hey yo what up dude i'm the monitor you know what i mean and you'd be like what is the monitor doing in the middle of the fucking old west or whatever you know what i mean but it's like all those you know, they had all those different titles, you know, no matter how out of place it was, it was like, hey, this is going to be big because this guy's showing up in every single title we have. And then, you know, later on, it was like a lot of these these comics crossed over, you know, directly into Crisis, you know, whether it was, uh, you know. I think another thing it did is it actually established a really good Uber villain for DC because you'll have, like, Onslaught, you'll have, like, fucking Inferno. You have all these crossovers, and they have this big bad, but they never show up again. They never do shit. The Anti-Monitor keeps coming back. Yeah, I mean, he was pretty cool, like, during Crisis. I mean, even in, in the Sinestro Corps War, it was pretty cool to see him again. I mean, I, I don't like the idea of the character sticking around long enough so that he gets nerfed by, like, Aya in the Green Lantern animated yeah, series. Yeah, I agree with that. Because then, then eventually, the you know, the more you use a guy, then the more easily nerfed he can get and stuff. But, you know... It's, uh, you know, this this is definitely a monumental, you know, crossover and stuff. And I, I think this, for me, you know, definitely sets the bar for my expectations with 
mega crossovers within, you know, a comic company or whatever. Yeah. I don't know how you guys feel about it or whatever. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, last thing I'll say, I'll let Justin talk. I mean, I've, I've been going back and forth with you. I think the, the strongest thing I can say about this is, is, is even now, now, the fact that we're doing this podcast shows how much a long-lasting effect this has had, even to the point where DC is like, hey, let's do Infinite Crisis. Let's do, you know, you know, Final Crisis. You know, it, it was that big of a story that it generates that strong feeling of, like, when you hear the word crisis in DC, you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> it sold gangbusters, Larry. Yeah. That's kind of what I was going to say. It's like It seems like, especially, like, the last, you know, eight or nine years here for DC, like, They've been trying to, like, recapture the success, you know, sale-wise and story-wise of Crisis on Infinite Earths, you know, whether it's Infinite Crisis or Final Crisis or Zero Hour or whatever. It's like they keep trying to do these big events, and none of them are ever as good as the original. Yeah. yeah even if they are, like, story-wise bigger, they just don't have that same feel. feel. You know, it's just like, they, no, the infinite, you know, Crisis on Infinite Earths, that was it, was it. Yeah, that was that was the thing, you know. That was that was like, if you were if you were, were you know like you know, me like, and Eric are a little bit older than a lot of the people who are on here or maybe listen to this. At the time, this was just such a major fucking story. Yeah, definitely. I guess moving on to from Crisis to uh, to more sort of characters in the DC universe. Um, on the next page, uh, this is a, a picture that basically reflects some of the outcomes or the. Uh, the effects, as Tony was saying, from the the Crisis on Infinite Earths, and you know, one of the effects was that the uh, you know the Guardians uh, they weren't acting evil yet, but they were basically like, dude, uh, we're gonna go and and hang out with some uh, Zamorans and go make babies or whatever we're gonna do, and they were like, okay, later for Oa, and they all like flew away or whatever. So basically, at that point, the Green Lantern Corps was these you know seven dudes who were basically the whole Green Lantern Corps. But what was kind of funny, funny was they, they, they all hung out on Earth. So it was like Steve Englehart was writing it, and, um, you know, they, they just kind of all chilled on Earth and hung out with each other. You know, it kind of become a little bit like Saved by the Bell, you know, because it's like Jon Stewart was hooking up with uh, Kat Matui, yeah. and Hal Jordan, Jordan was, was doing, doing his thing, thing with uh, Arisia, and then, you know, Salak was being grumpy, and, uh, you know... And um, to continue my long line of mispronouncing names, like Badig, there is Sahip. Oh, Sahip, yeah, Sahip is awesome. Yeah. Um, no, Chip is is rad. I love Chip. Um, I wish there was a figure of Chip somewhere. Um, I would have preferred not. it over Badger. I, I thought that would have been yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, you've got Kilowog, who was off being a commie and hanging out with the Russians. <laughs> Because Steve Englehart's probably a commie too, so we'll, we'll we'll you know let that hang there for a while. No, I I don't know. Like Kilowog, basically, he designed all the Rocket Reds. Like if 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 later on in the story, you know the uh, the character that eventually joins up with the Justice League International, you know, like Dimitri or whatever. Like all those original Rocket Red outfits, like those were actually created by Kilowog, and I guess Kilowog was supposed to have come from this, um, you know, kind of like socialistic planet where, you know, I don't know, I assume everybody just had, like, the same refrigerator and the same toaster and the same pair of, like, overalls or something, and they were all happy, apparently. And one of the adverse effects of Crisis on Infinite Earths was that uh, that entire planet was destroyed. 
So Crisis basically blew up Kilowog's home planet. And after that, he was kind of, like, he wasn't, I, I guess a lot of people think of him as, like, the gruff drill sergeant of the Green Lanterns. Or maybe if you read Justice League International, you kind of think of him as a, in a humorous capacity. Like, he's, he's Guy Gardner's buddy, and he goes and drinks beers with him and calls him a poozer. And, you know, this kind of friendly, big, gruff guy. But at this point in the comics, it was like he was kind of despondent and kind of like, my planet, my entire planet's been blown up, and I don't really have anybody I relate to and I guess when Gorbachev like rings him up on the phone or whatever, he's just like, "Oh yeah, sure, I'll totally come out and hang out with you guys." Yeah, so a good example is like you're talking about the uh, Rocket Reds. <clears throat> there was a Rocket Red in the JLE, and because of that whole generic like, "Here, here's some armor," you don't get Iron Man, you don't get like you know a cool guy in armor. You get Red, Red Rocket Seven because he's number seven. Yeah, that's that's all you get, you know. Like you know, it, 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 yeah, it's kind of a sad, you know, downward turn. But yeah, he's come back from it. I will I will say the next panel does have one of the characters I have a lot of weird sympathy for, and that's Pariah. But I'll let you uh, expound upon that. Well, you know, I I don't know. It's it's weird. Like he he always seemed to be like one of these kind of like sad sack characters in Crisis, like where he's always kind of, kind of crying every time he shows up to, like, prevent something, but he can never really do it, you know? Like, he's, like, basically, like, kind of, like, screaming for... You know, it'd be, like, if every time you showed up in a place, you knew some some friend of yours was going to get hit by a bus, and you're, like, screaming at them, you know, to, like, you know, hey, don't get hit by the bus, but then they get hit by the fucking bus anyway. <laughs> it's like, you know, like, there's, like, like, there's like, this big, huge big battle huge going battle. on, and in the background you hear as he, like, appears... You know, how he's, could he's this such happen a, to me? My baby made mistakes. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess Pariah was emo before oh, emo was anything. Or uh, you know, he, he he's such an impotent character. You know, like he 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 just can't, can't really affect much. I guess. Yeah, it's like his, his whole his power is to show up and do nothing. And then uh, I guess to the left you got Lady Quark, who. Um, you know, was prominently featured in Crisis, and supposedly she came from, you know, one of the multiple Earths, but I guess in the new history, like when she shows up in Starman, let's say, the Will Payton Starman, um, you know, they kind of reconcile it as like, oh, yeah, her planet got destroyed, but not, like, her entire universe or whatever. Yeah, they throw in a Legion later, L-E-I-O-N. Yeah, so... Um, and then, and then, of course, another outcome of the crisis is, you know, another gender switch there for you. Uh, a pretty good gender switch. We've got uh, Kamiyo Hoshi as Dr. Light. I like Dr. Light. Like, she's pretty cool. We've got uh, another gender switch, which is uh, Yolanda Montez, uh, who basically takes over for Wildcat. It was weird, because in, in that point in crisis, like, Wildcat's, uh, like, spine was crushed. Like, you didn't think he was ever going to be Wildcat after that. Like, I mean, it seemed pretty, pretty serious. serious. Even though later on he he eventually does, but I just wanted to let Justin know to calm down. It's a redhead in a cat suit, but it's not Hellcat. Hell- <laughs> I I was gonna say like I have affection for that character too. Like when Johns was writing uh, Justice Society, like he you know, he he started doing stuff with like every character, and I was like, it would be neat if like they brought her back and like you know somehow like. Eclipso like didn't like really for reals kill her or maybe oh like she she gets like the Green Lantern core treatment where like all those guys that Eclipso croaked like in his 18th issue didn't actually die like it was funny because a lot of those guys like it's always funny to me because a lot of those guys come back to life but then there's the poor bastards who like don't come back to life kind of like Maxima like I think Maxima is the only person who died in our worlds at war 
that was never brought back to life. Like, it's like Pac-Hent died, brought back to life. Aquaman died, brought back to life. It's like, like Doomsday died, brought back to life. Maxima, still dead, you know, like, so it's like... And and, and kind of like with the, the Eclipso people, like, like I, think, I think it was like Creeper died, and then he got brought back. And, and then, like, like... But I think the poor kids from, like, Infinity Inc., like, it was... It was her, and then the the chick who was Doctor Midnight at the time. Yeah. Like I, I think those guys like they did. They're like, whoops. Uh, I'll throw out this real quick on the bottom of the page. I have to jump in again because I am a big Blue Beetle fan, and of course I have to mention Blue Beetle's best buddy Booster Gold. One thing that I wanted to mention before we move on to the next page, his outfit here at the bottom looks suspiciously a lot like the Supernova costume, costume he wore later. 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 It kind of does. does. He's got the the cape, cape and everything. Yeah, I thought that was kind of an interesting little homage, or maybe they picked it up later and they were like, "Hey, let's do that," but you know, tweak the colors, you know. And uh, and this character also had his ongoing series that was uh, by Dan Jurgens and stuff. I'm sure Brian would, uh, if he were here, he'd be pimping out the awesomeness that is uh, Dan Jurgens' run on Booster Gold. But just like Blue Beetle had his own ongoing series, uh, you know, so too did Booster Gold for a long time. But you know, eventually both those series folded. But you could still, you know, follow the continuing adventures of uh, Blue Beetle and Booster Gold in uh, Justice League and Justice League International. So. I guess up on the next page, we got the Omega Men, which uh, also ties into that, uh, you know, Citadel-type stuff, the, the alien universe and stuff like that. I don't know that I – the only time I really bought Omega Men comics, and sad to say, is I, you know, I was super into Lobo in the 90s because – Lobo, 90s! <laughs> they don't call me the main man for nothing. And, and, and you'll notice, like, 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 Lobo gets no entry in this book at all. Like, pretty much, because he wasn't even a thing at this point. It was, like, what, you know, 1986 or something? Oh, that's when he was still but, wearing his, like, purple and orange costume on it. Yeah, yeah, basically. That 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 brings me to my next point, is the only Omega Men comics I ever bought were appearances by Lobo with his purple and orange uh, pajamas or whatever. So, you know, I had a smattering of Omega Men issues, but, you know, it was like, oh, I'll get 3 and 9 and 10 and 11 and 17. And, you know, what, basically whenever Lobo showed up, I bought some Omega Men, but that was about it for me. Yeah, I don't even know any of the Omega Men besides Tiger. That's about it. <laughs> Jaguar. Yeah. So, uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, th- this, I guess... I'm just gonna skip the page because this is more. There's a lot of friggin' reading. There's some. There's some. Yeah. There's. Unless unless anybody else has anything to say about the Omega Man. I've never gone into it. The the most I know about him is from the Rand Thanagar War. Okay. Anybody else, Justin? Nope. All right. Moving on. So this is the the second explanation for why the Justice Society is not. Kicking it with everybody in the modern DC universe. Uh, this was later reversed in the 90s, but at the time, uh, basically, they, the Justice Society of America, they all come out of retirement, and they're basically in this eternal battle in Valhalla. So basically, the idea was they were supposed to, you know, fight this never-ending battle to, you know, perpetually save the universe, you know, from, I guess, Ragnarok or something like that, you know, where they're just fighting over and over and over again. And that is basically to explain, like, oh, this is why we don't see all these, uh, you know, Wildcat and Jay Garrick and Alan Scott and, uh, you know, uh, Ted Knight and all these guys in a retirement home just chilling or whatever. And then I guess it also leads into here, you know, you've got an image of Dr. Fate cloaking, um, 
you know, all these guys we were just talking about that, you know, some of them that got massacred um, by Eclipso later on in DC, but it, it leads into the Infinity Incorporated. It, it's weird because the Justice Society comic that uh, David Goyer and Jeff Johns did uh, really brought home the whole legacy aspect of the Justice League and really took off and was popular. I don't know that I was, I mean, I was reading comics at the time, but I don't know how well something like Infinity Incorporated performed. I mean, it must have performed well because it ran for uh, a large number of issues. I mean, it at least went into like the 50s or so, but I don't know how how uh, how much that series took off with people or not. I mean, I knew I bought a lot of back issues because they were either tie-ins with Crisis or uh, because I was a big you know, Todd McFarlane fan because of Spider-Man and the Incredible Hulk, and he actually got some of his early run, his early start on uh, Infinity Incorporated issues. So you got like a lot of, you know, Jade and Solomon Grundy images and all these kids up here from the Justice Society, whether it's, you know, Obsidian or Brainwave or the Star Spangled Kid or, you know, the Silver Scarab or any of these guys, they're all, you know, or, or even, um, you know, Dr. Midnight or Our Man or, you know, the, the new uh, Wildcat. You know, you've got all these guys that were drawn by Todd McFarlane stuff. I think the, <clears throat> the thing that's, like, saddest for me is, like, the only two characters who I know still have any relevance are uh, Alan Scott's kid, Obsidian, and uh, Jade, so. Well, um, new, Nucleon became. Yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah she yeah, died. She died. No, not not only did she die, she died, she came, came back, back, but then they did the reboot of the New 52, so on Earth 2, uh, Alan Scott uh, isn't heterosexual anymore, so there's probably no, no way, way that Jade and Obsidian, Obsidian could, could exist, exist, I suppose, unless he adopts them or something. Wow. Yikes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I'm going to say before we turn the page, I just like how Dr. Fate on this page is, is looking at us like, what the fuck? <laughs> no, Doctor Fate's like, were you looking at? Were you looking at my junk? I'm cloaking my junk right now. <laughs> Ooh, not he's like, we're busy. Now. Go away. Hey. <laughs> Ignore me. Ignore me. I will, I will let it, Derek, Derek totally should explain this page, but page art. Oh my oh god, my god again. again. This is basically an introduction to the whole Legends miniseries, and then I, I think it's interesting because uh, for years, like, I know Justin loves the Phantom Stranger, but I always thought the Phantom Stranger was just a dude who, like, got heroes together and stuff, because it's like, he'd be <laughs> like, and then he was gone, and then they were there. You know, it's like, it's like you know, this kind of caveat of crossovers. I, I remember, like, whenever I would do my own crossovers, like, I'd write my own little comics, whether it was with, you know, DC or Marvel characters or characters that I created myself. Like, there always had to be some guy who, you know, mystically got all the heroes together to fight, like, the bad guys and stuff. And so the Phantom Stranger kind of serves that purpose in the Legends miniseries in a way. Like, he's, he's kind of like the Watcher from the Marvel Universe in this in this miniseries. He, he's like your you know, do, do ex machina. Well, he, he he doesn't really do much, but like he chills with Darkseid and hangs out and he's like, I know what you're doing, Darkseid, like and some people are gonna stop you and Darkseid just is being chill and he's got his hands behind his back and it's kinda like, Yeah, well you can't do shit, stranger, like, you know, it's just by the grace of my my uh, awesomeness that I let you, you know, pop in and out wherever you go. The off-camera panel, he's like, so how about that Mets game? Shut up, stranger. I'm just trying to make yeah. conversations, man. 
Yeah, just trying to see what's up, dude. He's like, Darkseid is not a Mets fan. Um, but I guess, uh, you know, turning the page here, now we, we, we are leading into um, what, what is, I guess, a lot of people's favorite era of uh, Justice League. I know it's one of my favorite eras. It's the whole Justice League of America slash international or, or just flat-out Justice League or whatever. Or, or the Gifted um, the era, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, really, really funny stuff. Great artwork from Kevin McGuire. I mean, here it's obviously George Perez, and they're set on a backdrop. Um, you know, it, it's interesting because it takes, like, the American flag, but I guess the way they make it international is, like, the stars are the stars of outer space and... You know, it, it's an interesting design that, that they've got going here. And this was, I guess, the original lineup of the international team at this point, where it's, you know, Batman, uh, Jazzercise, Black Canary, <laughs> you know, you got Ted Cord, Dr. Fate, you know, Guy Gardner, Dr. Light, you know, Mr. Miracle, and then, of course, you got Martian Manhunter and Captain Marvel and then Captain Atom. So, uh, you know, it, it was... I, I enjoyed this book, even with all the rotating membership and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and this basically, the, these pages here are kind of like the outcome of the Legends crossover. You know, Darkseid tried to basically turn the world against Earth's heroes, kind of brought about this idea of superheroes registering with the government long before Marvel Civil War ever did. I, I, I have a weird story about Legends, which is I, I remember back when uh, Jason Todd died, you know, it was a big deal to own the issue where, you know, Robin died or whatever. And uh, I, I thought it was funny because some kid's like, oh, yeah, I have the issue where Robin died. And I'm all, oh, OK, really? And he's like, yeah, he died in this book. And he showed me like a copy of like I think it was like Legends number two or Legends number three. And like it was interesting because from his perspective, like Gilbert Godfrey or uh, what's his face? Glorious Godfrey. You know, <laughs> Gilbert Godfrey would have been <laughs> awesome in that show. <laughs> I was about to say Gilbert Godfrey. How you Godfrey. doing? I'm from Darkseid. I killed the Batman. <laughs> oh, look who's here. Superboy. Is that it? Is it Superboy? I recognize you because I saw that outfit before. You wore that something. Knick-knack. Hi. Daisy made some uh, lemonade. It's without pits. It's pitless. You don't have to go... I'm not here for a picnic, Nick. I'm here to take you back to prison with me. I was about... Anyway, Glorious Godfrey uh, basically convinces all these angry uh, protesters to basically beat the shit out of Jason Todd. Like, and, and from this kid's perspective, he was like, oh yeah, Robin's fucking dead, right? Like, he's dead. <laughs> and I was like, and I had to tell him, I'm like, that's that's not really the comic where he died. Like, he's he's actually, like, not dead in the next issue. Like, yeah, he's got, like, 40 million casts, and he's in, like, a hospital bed, and Bruce is like, you doing okay? And, you know, he's like, yeah, I'm fine, Bruce. You know, or whatever. And he's like, I just got all these casts. You know, but but I, I didn't have the heart to tell him. I'm like, you don't really have the issue where he died or whatever. But um, um, I was going to make two uh, comments. One is just for me. I like how Blue Beetle looks like he's pulling in the biggest fish in the world. Um, I love Dwarf Prince's art, but that's just one weird pose. He's like, I've got a marlin. <laughs> um, and second of all, uh, Derek, you mentioned earlier you really like Captain Adam. Uh, this is the one where he got his new look. And the this series really made Captain Adam like a powerhouse. He was like a big player. Did you is this one of the ones where you like became more enamored with the character? Uh I know I like the ongoing series a lot and the fact that like the invasion crossover kind of build him as like, you know, the commander in chief of the superheroes with like Superman leading the ground forces or whatever. So like I always thought that was a big deal. I think the the era where I thought he really came into more prominence was when they made him the leader of Justice League Europe. 
You know, because, like, I think in, in some of these early issues, he was a little more presented kind of like how he was presented in some of the Justice League cartoons where he's just like, yeah, I'm Captain Adam, you know, I'm a dumbass or, what, you know, whatever it was, you know, like, there there is that kind of, you know, vibe in some of the early ones because basically the idea was they were like, oh, well, we're doing Justice League International and we don't want to kowtow to you know, Russia or America. But basically at the time, the two big superpowers in the 80s were Russia and America. So they're just like, well, you know, you can't call yourselves the Justice League International without a representative from America. And then Russia's like, well, shit, you can't call yourself the Justice League International without a representative from Russia. So the solution they came up with was they're all, okay, well, we'll have Captain Adam as the American representation, and we'll have this Rocket Red dude as the uh, the Soviet Union's representation, which is, you know, I guess technically now... You know, it's, it's dated, but at the time, it was very relevant and current, you know. One, one thing I'd like to point out real quick is even though Batman is front and center there, he, he really was a guest star in that book. <laughs> he would, like, <clears throat> be gone for issues at a time and then just show up and, like, you know, if they had, like, a membership drive or they had a big storyline, he'd be like, oh, I'm Batman, I'm here. But, like, there would be, like, six or seven issues at a time where he would be gone. It would be, like, Booster Gold and... Uh, Blue Beetle, or it'd be like, you know, Guy Gardner, and, you know, all these other, like, you know, at the first couple issues he was there, but it was just really funny that, like, as the series progressed, it was just like, oh, yeah, I guess we should put Batman in there. <laughs> well, it's interesting, because the, the, the editors at the time, like, they all felt bad, you know, for, for I guess the Bat editors felt bad for the Justice League editors, because they're like, basically, John Byrne and... and George Perez were like, nope, you can't use Wonder Woman, you can't use Superman. So they're like, oh, we took pity on the Justice League editors and said, fine, fine, you can use Batman. But it's like the minute they went international, then it's like, oh, uh, I fade into the shadows. Yeah. I'm not here. You know? And yeah, one, kind of, one of my favorite ones. And is, so he sort of disappeared. One of my favorite yeah. issues of that is like, and I'll, I'll wrap this up real quick, I know we got to move on. It's like they're doing a membership uh, drive and they're like, hey, uh, Bruce, well, you know, Batman, maybe you can get Superman to join. You know, you guys are good with him. Like, Bruce, like, seriously does, like, a pretty good, like, you know, the Justice League needs you. You know, where are you? You know, uh, fight crime. And, like, even Superman's like, you guys tell too many jokes, and I gotta go, but if you ever need Superman, I'll be here, bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty much how it was always like, it was always like, when you really need me, I will be here. Until then, I will off being a super dick. Or whatever. Um, but yeah, I guess moving on, uh, cause we gotta, we gotta move on. Um, uh, we got the Suicide Squad and in the center we got, uh, you know, Rick Flagg Jr. who was, uh, mentioned earlier. Um, but yeah, he, he forms like the new formation of the Suicide Squad and of course Amanda Waller's there is sort of like the head of the whole, you know, government operation that is the the task force x or suicide squad and you know basically the idea here is you know i think this is a series that you know mike might really like or at least that i would you know recommend to him at some point in time but uh you know john ostrander's run on suicide squad is awesome and basically the whole idea is they they recruit all these you know super villains and stuff and you know the idea is you know it could be a one-way ticket you know like you you may get pardoned or you may get time off for good behavior but, you know, you may also get picked up by Brimstone, which is what happened in Legends and uh, Blockbuster. The original Blockbuster was basically incinerated. So it's like, oh, the Suicide Squad, like these guys could die at any time. But, yeah, there there are plenty of breakout characters, I think, in this. I mean, I think, you know, Deadshot is kind of like the Wolverine yeah, of uh, say, the if, Suicide Squad. If, you know, if you like Deadshot just... now, it's all because of Suicide Squad. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, obviously he was a great villain in Batman and stuff, you know, the Marshall Rogers, uh, Steve Englehart stuff, but the the John Ostrander stuff just made, you know, he was the man. He was like, you know, when Wolverine jumps out of a plane and expects to be catched by Rogue, like Deadshot was doing the same thing with, with Black Orchid, you know, at this time frame, where he was just like, I'm the shit, you know, I'm fucking Deadshot. So, <laughs> they even I mean, took, he, they even took guys like Captain Boomerang and made them worth reading. Yeah, I mean, he was he was kind of like a Starscream type character, you know. You never knew when he was gonna, you know, sell out all the other members of the team, you know, because he was kind of a nasty, nasty kind of character or what have you, you know. And then of course you had sort of the characters that were, you know, a little more on the good side of things, you know, whether it was like Vixen who was in the Justice League, who's not pictured down here, or like Bronze Tiger or Nemesis, or Nemesis you know, Nightshade, you know, those characters. They, you know, they're they're definitely government ops characters, but they're not. They they were not super villains that were well I guess Bronze Tiger was but you know like the Nixon they, they were bad Knight but they had honor and, yeah yeah you know so so there's there's a lot of cool stories you know that that go on through that whole era it's about sixty six issues long but I mean it's it's a great read I mean if there's anything that I recommend from this era of DC Comics it's uh, John Ostrander's run on Suicide Squad the, the best way I would put it before we move on is it's political intrigue with good action yeah. No, it's it's awesome. Did you did you have anything on the Suicide Squad, Justin, before we move on? Or no, I think you guys pretty well covered it. Okay, all right. So uh, so finally, finally, guess who's here? Wonder Woman. <laughs> yeah, finally. After after we do like basically the whole history of the Justice League and Teen Titans, it's like finally Wonder Woman shows up <laughs> in the public eye. I guess that's because you know George Perez was getting around to to doing it. I mean, the, the the whole idea was I guess the first six issues he did. I guess if you think about it, that's like half a year where people couldn't touch Wonder Woman basically because her story. Her origin wasn't set up yet. I mean, it's a great six issues and introduction into Wonder Woman, but, you know, basically she's almost like the very last thing we see uh, before we get into, like, DC future land here, you know, so. It is a nice page, though. I, 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 will, I will just quote the uh, last two things. This, then, is the stuff of legends. This is Wonder Woman. That That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, Wonder Woman, that, that run is, is a really good run. I mean, the the art on it is just like this. You know, it's by George Perez. Everything is hyper-detailed. The only thing I will say about the, the rebooted Wonder Woman is once George Perez stops doing the art and just is doing, like, the layouts or the writing... Suffers a little bit. It, it, yeah, it's just kind of disappointing. I remember when the War of the Gods, the, that crossover is going to come out, and I was just like, oh, shit, man, War of the Gods, it's going to be Perez, it's going to be just like Crisis on Infinite Earths. Like, look at all these covers, you know, and he did all the covers, and then at some point, I don't know if he was he was ill or, or, or what happened with the workload, I forget exactly what the, the story was, but he had to stop, and, uh, you know, just took a downward that, downturn, that yeah. Where it's, just, where it's just the layouts, it was just such a such a disappointment, you know. Yeah. So. I'd just like to oh. say I like the write-up on Wonder Woman's page just because it's like, you know, it's like, where did she come from? Like, is it this story or is that story just bullshit? Or is this bullshit, you know? <laughs> I don't know, yeah. I'm not the one to judge. This, all we know is this is Wonder Woman, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we don't know yet, because George Perez hasn't written this Born a princess on an island hidden in space and time. She will soon become one of Earth's greatest warriors. This is Xena. I will say this, though. On the next page, hell yeah, Harbinger gets a new Wii U title. 
She's playing a new game. Yeah, she is playing a new game. She's probably playing Smash Brothers because, uh, <laughs> you know, she seems to be really engrossed with it. But uh, while she's playing Smash Brothers, uh, we go into the whole, uh, the whole 21st century, which is so far away. It's never coming to us. Um, well, at the time it wasn't. But, uh, you know, so basically, uh, you know, we've got all these kind of, like, future characters. And I guess this was a way of them consolidating, like, all these, you know, far-flung future stories and stuff like that. So, you know, you've got, uh, you've got a big, giant image of, uh, of Hex in the far-flung future. Shoot because, me in the face. Because at the time, you know, that was, that was a currently running series, so I'm sure they wanted to totally promote that. And, of course, you, you got the, uh, the groundwork laid for that was, was in book one, where you saw him getting you know, ported into the future, you know, uh, in, I think it was like, what, like 1874 or something like that. So, so um, you know, basically you've got Jonah Hex, and then, of course, you've got, like, all these other guys from, like, things like, I think, Strange Adventures and stuff like that, like, uh, you know, the Star Rovers and Star Hawkins and, of course, Space Cabby. My you know, favorite you book of all time. Space Cabby, uh, Jack Kirby's OMAC, uh, Tommy Tomorrow, which is interesting because I guess the way they reconciled it was like, you know, Tommy, if you see down here, you know, it's like Tommy Tomorrow is like going to be one of the great planeteers, but he's discovered here and that's actually like supposed to be Commandy, like down there in the center. So it's like they're kind of insinuating, you know, they're kind of insinuating like, oh, well, if Commandy didn't live in this war-torn, crazy, planted the apes rip-off world, you know, he's going to grow up to become Tommy Tomorrow and be a space ranger. You know what I mean? So, like, they're, you know, it kind of basically, you know, is, is, is one interpretation of it. And then, of course, because we're dealing with the future, you know, it's like now we're, we're all the way from, like, 21st century all the way into, like, 25th century, and you see Booster Gold at the bottom there kind of contemplating, uh, you know, stealing some Legion rings and super suits and going into the past and stuff like that. And then I guess moving on to uh, one of the greatest super teams ever. Um, uh, Derek, gotta... Derek and Justin may go off on this really hardcore, like really huge fanboys. Just enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got a double page spread of uh, the Legion of Superheroes, which is pretty awesome. Um, yeah. And this is, this is kind of before they did the whole five year later, reboot thing or, or angsty legion or whatever. whatever so everybody's still in costume here because they hadn't gotten that far um it, it's interesting though because they, they the legion was super popular so they didn't really try to eradicate superboy and supergirl even though it was kind of a must with the whole way they were handling superman but uh this is a great spread and it's got all the symbols of all the different legionnaires at the bottom and and then also at the bottom bottom like below the symbols it also uh, kind of shows you some of the fallen legionnaires and stuff so you got like karate kid who could punch the shit out of daxamite jaws with his super karate powers and uh the invisible kid and pharaoh lad and stuff like that so all these like you know I just have one question. I'm pretty familiar with most of the Legion members. What the hell is the thing that looks like a lizard ape in the bottom? Oh, uh, um, what's that dude's name? He is, he's like, like kind of like their telepath or whatever. Okay. Um, I, was just, I was just wondering, because I'm, I'm pretty familiar with all these guys, but I was like, what the hell is that thing? <laughs> yeah, he's one of the more, like, like science fiction-y, like, looking characters. I can't remember what his name is now. He was in the Legion Lost uh, 
comic from the New 52 yeah. that just came out. Oh, okay. But I, I can't think of his name off the top of my head. Okay. I, I was just, yeah, that's just, <laughs> just a random question. Did you want to say anything about Legion, uh, Justin? I know you're a big fan, too. I'll let Derek handle this because he's, he's a bigger fan and has way more knowledge than I do. I don't know that I've read, like, a whole lot from from this era. Like, I've been reading, like, a lot of pre-crisis uh, uh-huh. Legion lately. Yeah, it's weird because this does seem to be more pre-crisis, at least the, the images here, you know, than because the, the post-crisis Legion was mostly like that five-year-later Legion and stuff like that. So, I mean, they, they pretty much have, like, all the Legionnaires here, you know, in full prominence and stuff. I mean, the only thing I can think of right now is I'm, like, looking at uh, Duo Damsel and thinking of all the kinky things that Bouncing Boy gets to do with her because they're married. But, um, you know, that's, uh, you know... I, I I just I don't I don't know what else to say about it other than you know they're in the 31st century they're the legion of superheroes and the, you know th- there's just so many members and so much history there I mean you'd be hard pressed to uh, to reboot all that but it, it seemed like unfortunately after the crisis like that that to me kind of I guess for a lot of legion fans it kind of killed them you know, in a way, because they, they were constantly getting rebooted, whether it was, you know, the five-year-later version or then after Zero Hour, they completely got rebooted from scratch. And then after that, it was like, you know, you kind of had the whole Abnett and Lanning Legion, which was a carryover from the Zero Hour Legion, but it was almost a totally new direction and new series, which is really great. And then um, and then after that, you had the Mark Wade reboot. And then after that, it almost got reset to the point where finally the Superman guys were like, oh yeah, the Silver Age is cool again, the <laughs> Legion of Superheroes can tie into Superman, and the minute I thought everything was hunky-dory, they did the New 52 reboot, where I was like, oh fuck, now the Legion doesn't make any sense anymore again. You know, so. do, do you think like, Legion is one of those titles that DC really loves, and they know it has a big history, and it has, yeah, like, it has like core, core fan, base, fan base, but they just but they don't just really know what the fuck to do with it? I don't know. I think I think they've done some cool things with it. I guess it's just a matter of that interest being sustained. You know, like it, it just seems like that's one of those titles where it, it can get this groove and be really cool. And if if they get publicized right, like I remember when Wizard was just pimping the shit out of the Abnett and Lanning Legion, where they're like, dude, you got to check out Legion Lost. It's so rad. And now they've got this ongoing title, and it's called Legion, and they fight Rachel Ghoul, and all you idiots watch Batman the Animated Series, so that's <laughs> super cool. And, like, they, watch they, just, they just pimped the shit out of it. And, and, and anybody who didn't normally read Legion might be like, Oh yeah, that that sounds pretty cool. I remember that Rachel Ghoul guy from Batman. Like that's that's pretty sweet. He made it all the way to the 30th century. Wow. Like maybe I'll check that out. But it's like if I I just think like maybe the promotional machine could be better. You know when they have stories like they, that. They don't, they, like, don't, they don't think of it as a top tier title. Like yeah, they don't they don't always they don't always sell their wares. I guess yeah. is the best way to put it. So I guess, you know, we've only got a couple more pages to go here, so let's just sort of finish off some of this stuff. But, um, you know, some of these guys, I I don't even know too much I'm about. I'm about to say, the next like, page, I have you know, no idea, so guys, have at it. <laughs> you know, it's like they've got the heroes of uh, Laylor and uh, the Wanderers. I, I, I'm not familiar with those characters at all, so I, I don't really know too much about that. I do know that uh, some of these guys at the bottom are supposed to be representative of the Kuns, who were kind of like the 
the Klingons of the Legion of Superheroes, those those guys at the bottom and stuff. And then, of course, it's another reference, which I find kind of interesting because there have been so many stories where Darkseid does get destroyed and killed. But this I always thought was pretty epic because the idea was eventually Darkseid is supposed to, you know, face the Legion of Superheroes in the 30th century or 31st century. And so there's just a reference, this kind of ominous looking shadowy image of dark side you know cackling away and you know just quoting it you know some evil cannot be destroyed great dark side the destroyers five centuries his ultimate vanquishment has never been recorded so i I, you know that kind of stuff is always cool because you know even in even in the five year later legion they did a sequel to the great darkness saga that had lobo i guess for you know 90s crossover appeal but it also again featured dark side so you know there's plenty of stuff like that and and, you know, and then, of course, I guess they're just making frequent references to, you know, now time travelers and things. You know, you've got, you know, Green Lantern constantly traveling to the future, which was like this weird sort of um, subplot of Green Lantern where, you know, they, there was this thing where they'd be like they were always abducting Hal Jordan and he would never remember, you know, so they'd be <laughs> like, hey, dude. Like, come to the future and be the Green Lantern to the future. Your name's, like, you know, Kevin Richardson, or, you know, I forget what his name was, but, like, they Al totally, Jordan. like... <laughs> they, yeah, they, they would, like, mind-wipe him and convince him, like, he fought crime in the future. And then when they were done with him, they're like, okay, cool, let's send him back to the present, you know, and everything like that. So there, there were always these funny Green Lantern stories like that. <laughs> Your name that. is Long Arm. You're finding crime in a future time. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, like that's that's what they did. They just mind wipe them and say you're supposed to be here. You've got Abracadabra, who uh, you know is of course you know time traveling and stuff like that. And then this kind of ominous image of uh, the time trapper, which uh, created so much uh, crazy chaos and confusion in the Superman universe with the whole pocket universe and Superboy Prime and <laughs> General Zod getting killed and people freaking out over Zod getting his neck snapped, even though he was killed before. All kinds of craziness. So. The next phase starts with somebody peeing in a well. Yes. Well, <laughs> basically, basically, it's it's uh, you know it's a harbinger. She's done playing Wii U for the day, and and this kind of means we're done because she basically considers her work done. You know, she's chronicled you know the whole history of the DC universe all the way up to like practically the 31st century. So I, I this pretty much ends our podcast. I mean, I guess if, is there any last thoughts that anybody has on the uh, history of the DC universe cuz I, you know, I, like I said I grew up with this as a kid. kid. Uh, I kind of used it the the whole Bible for the DC universe. So anytime I was kind of like, hey, I wonder when this was supposed to happen or whatever, I would always come back to this and and kind of review it and look at it and kind of you know, get inspired to read certain comics just based on some of, you know, Perez's drawings and the characters I saw and things like that. But I think mine will probably be the quickest. Um, the art is fantastic. Perez is a master. The way he tells the story, even though there's no balloons or anything like that, it's all text, really well laid out. And even if some of the stuff doesn't jive with current DC, uh, you know, current timelines, how they're doing stuff. It, it's it's a fun it's a book. book. You, know, you can learn some shit. You can see a lot of characters that actually have existed. They did exist. They had stories. They weren't just, you know, forgotten memories. And, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun book. I'm glad we did this. It seems like, it really seems, seems like the kind of book that book if that I was, like, more of a DC fan as a kid, like, I'd really love revisiting and, like, reading again. Because I loved all, like, the, the history books and, like, like our profile or handbooks and stuff like that. 
I'm just pleased that like a lot of the more obscure characters, like whether it's Cave Carson or Challengers of the Unknown or Ultra the Multi Alien, Son of Vulcan, like a lot of those Charlton guys, like I was just pleased to see like them just get at least one panel like, Hey, we haven't forgot about you, Cave Carson, even though you explore caves and don't do a whole lot much else, but here you are, we haven't forgot about you, buddy. Well, hey, just not to tell you the truth, we did a cold reading these last two podcasts. I know you were unavailable last week because you had some uh, off time, but if you get a chance, pick up the first one and uh, uh, look through it because it's got the same stuff, a lot of obscure characters. It's a, it's a fun read. Yeah, I wish I could have been here last week for that because that, I, I know you guys probably covered like the majority of like World War II heroes, and like I, I love that stuff, man, like Pulp Heroes. You know, Golden Age heroes like I, I love that stuff, so I really would enjoy that. I'll probably like read that later, you know, later in the week or something. Cool. All right. So this basically wraps up our uh, our inductional installment of uh, page by page. Um, you know, if you like this, uh, don't fret because uh, there's probably going to be some more page by page stuff coming up. I know uh, we kind of have some big plans to maybe try and do this with the. Uh, the Transformers Universe series of books from Marvel Comics later on. So, um, you know, if you like this, don't fret. There's going to be some more of this on the way. If you didn't, oh, snap, you're going to have to suffer through some more of it. So, uh, just, but, just, uh, just be forewarned, me and Mike will probably go on endlessly during the Transformers Universe. <laughs> yes, yeah, we will. Yeah. <laughs> what we'll do now is we'll just move on to our awesome thing of the week segment. And, uh, you know, hopefully everybody knows by now, but if you don't, uh, this is where we just talk about something that's pretty cool in our week. You know, maybe something we bought, something we saw, uh, you know, something that just was really wonderful that happened to us in our lives. So um, I guess I will look down the Skype uh, windows here, and I'll start with, uh, what's going on, Mike? I'll tell you what's going on, because I'm ready to believe in good. Um <laughs> I, I think Tony will agree with this, that, like, as we record this, BotCon is in session, and today they, like, released, like, by the time this podcast gets released, there'll probably be a lot more stuff that we, like, found out, and maybe some of this will, well, probably not, but some of it might even be out in stores, but um, just a ton of good, like, new, like, Transformers toys were revealed, like, recently, and, <clears throat> like, um... You know, just a bunch of stuff that, like, uh, I was like, I will buy that. So, you know, it's all like, very exciting. And, you know, I'm Big glad a lot of, yeah, yeah I'm, a lot of stuff inspired by the comics and, like, toys, like, toys, like, uh, redos of, like, toys that might not have been perfect, like, the first time around, like a new Waspinator and Rhinox and stuff. So, like, we're all very excited about that, so. Yeah, if, if you guys read the uh, IDW comics, you're going to be pretty damn happy. That's all I really think I should uh, add to that. So. Cool. Well, well. speaking of uh, toy robots, I'll just pipe in and uh, say what my awesome thing of the week is. Um, I just wanted to give a shout-out to uh, to Mandrake Japan because I, I made my first order from them ever, and uh, I picked up one of the uh, Soul of Chokogen items, which is the GX41S, uh, which is actually a uh, sort of, I guess, Deluxe version of um, of the super robot called Raydine, but I guess the reason why I picked it up is because I kind of think of Raydine as like one of the Shogun warriors in Marvel Comics now. So I guess my goal is to um, 
sort of assemble all three of them together so I can have, like, the Marvel Shogun Warriors or what have you. Um, but, yeah, I picked up that Raideen from Mandrake. Um, it, it was, you know, it was the shipping was pretty expensive, but, uh, you know, the, the actual transaction process went by extremely smoothly. So, um, you know, I just, you know, I signed up, I made an account with them, and uh, it, it feels like it came incredibly quickly, and uh, there were no problems with... Uh, with anything at all. I think so. you're still working through all the parts because it came with so much stuff. Yeah, like, there's tons and tons of parts. Like, I'm kind of, like, I, I feel like, like, especially with, like, new Transformers and toys like that, like, I feel like, you know, like that, that alter, I think it was the Alternators hot rod that you sent me, or I'm not sure what it was. The Yeah, the, the Rodimus. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Rodimus, like, like that, it's like one of those things where, like, I transformed it once and I'm like, I'm afraid to, like, transform it again. You know yeah, what I mean? I like, I'm like, you. I don't, I'm like, I don't know if I'll be able to turn this back into a car or robot again. Like, it's, you know, because I, you know, it's not like the old toys where I kind of, I had all the transformations memorized and stuff. So I just basically set up uh, Ray Dean to, you know, hold a sword and, uh, you know, run around and, and blow shit up. And I'm, I'm cool with that for the time being, but I may mess with some of the other parts later. Um, but yeah, Tony, what's up? What's your, um, what's your awesome thing for the week? I got two, but they'll be really quick. So no big deal. Um, the first one is Boondocks is coming back for another season. So, hell yeah, Boondocks is a show on Adult Swim. Um, really funny, just crazy, like, it, it, it's racial humor, but racial humor done in a very smart, snappy, funny way. So, when it comes back, I hope everybody looks at it, enjoys it. It's really funny. I love that show, so I'm glad it's coming back for another season. Um, also, I picked up uh, Shockwave this week from Transformers Prime. A lot of people were not very happy with the fall of Cybertron Shockwave because he's really small. And Shockwave is a pretty important character. And he's never really gotten his due justice in a toy form. The Prime version is not perfect, I will say that. But as far as it goes, he's really nice. He's got some really cool features. He's a good figure. Uh, he's a Voyager, nice, big, hefty figure for someone who's as important to the Transformers mythos as Shockwave. So uh, if you get a chance to pick him up, two things. First of all, his ammo belt is hidden inside his tank tread, so put it on his arm. So make sure you look for that. Second of all, don't worry about the Beast armor. Screw the Beast armor. Beast Hunter's armor is bullshit. Just leave him alone, and he'll be a great Shockwave for your uh, classic shelf. No. Yeah, he looks really cool. I gotta pick him up too. So, what about you, Justin, my man? What is your awesome thing of the week? Well, I have two count them two books, which is probably more books than Derek's ever read in his life. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. Ever's. Um, the first one is called Coolidge by Amity Shells, and it is about our often overlooked uh, president, Calvin Coolidge. Um, you guys know me. I love history, and I especially like reading about presidents, especially the more obscure ones, whether it's Garfield or Taft or whoever. Um, whenever whenever really, Justin talks about a book, I want to read it. <laughs> <laughs> you should read Coolidge. Um, it's really easy to get into. I will say there's like two chapters in the middle where it's very detailed about Coolidge trying to get this tax law passed, so I – I struggled with that because I have really no interest in tax laws of the 1920s as much as I like history. Um, but it's a really good book. There's a lot of interesting things in there that I really enjoyed reading about. 
Um, I'm, I'm having I'm having visions of like Sentai guys, but they're like you know speed lines and like they're just like instead of the the you know morpher or whatever, it's like tax law, you know, and <laughs> all this kind of exciting stuff. Coolish taxes of status. So what's the what's the second book? Um, the second book is Spider Kiss by Harlan Ellison, and there's really nothing weird or spooky or science fictiony about this book. It's just a story of a uh, uh, kid from Kentucky who becomes a uh, overnight rockabilly sensation, like in the late fifties, early sixties, and it's just his struggle with success. Like you know, he becomes like an alcoholic and you know, skirt chaser and stuff. And I read on like. Wikipedia and a few other websites that Ellison took kind of inspiration from uh, you know, guys like Elvis, and I think he also like actually followed around the Rolling Stones for a while, like in the 70s and oh, 60s, so, maybe. So kind of like a pseudo-biography. Kind of. I mean, he in his introduction, he says, you know, you might think you can spot like people I used for these characters, but you're totally wrong. So I, I kind of took that as a challenge, and I'm like, wait a minute. I think I recognize this story, kind of. Um, and that was really good my ideas. <laughs> it, it is Harlan. He, he, he has been known to be uh, confrontational with his readers. <laughs> yeah. Um, the thing that surprised me was uh, it was a little slow at the beginning, and the main character uh, is completely unlikable. He does so many like terrible things, but at the very end of the book, like all this stuff, you know, all this stuff he goes through, what happens to him, it's like at the very end of the book, like even though I hated him and all the things he did, like I still felt sorry for him. And I was like, man, that's that's really good writing. Like he can make me feel sorry for this character. That's just basically a piece of trash. But I was like, yeah, I put that down. I was, that, yeah. yeah, I put the book down. I was like, man, that was a really good. Like a little twist there, I like that. Yeah, and, and just for the record, uh, Fanhole's listeners, it's been like two weeks since I heard from Justin. He's read two, He's books, read two books, so, so yeah. yeah. Feel bad. Feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> I've read a book read a like book. a year. <laughs> I think the last book I read was in two thousand whatever it was. So yeah. Well, I'm rereading a Nancy Boys right now, and that's a good book. So, so um, I just want to give a shout-out to uh, Tom Spielman, because uh, I don't think I mentioned him on the last podcast, but he sent us quite a bit of uh, comments. Um, he, he gave uh, our man Tony, Tony Chainclaw some shouts-out for his uh, top ten Star Trek lists, you know, for the villains and uh, worst villains and stuff like that. And also, um, you know, he commented on our, you know, I guess as of this recording, you know, uh, one of our most recent podcasts, which was the, you know, Superman show we released, uh, you know, in conjunction with the Man of Steel. And, you know, so he, you know, he's just telling us how he thinks it's really awesome stuff and how he hadn't heard about all the bad guys or some of the Superman comics that we mentioned. So he's all happy about that as well. So uh, thanks for listening, Tom. And, uh, you know, again, um, if anybody else has any, uh, you know, comments they want to make, whether it's on the blog spot or, you know, you can send them to fanholespodcast at gmail.com. You know, we've got Facebook, uh, Twitter, uh, you know, you can uh, look at some some artwork, you know, from Tony Chainclaw or some of our uh, photoshopping goodness from Justin on our Tumblr. Um, so, you know, anything like that that you want to check out, uh, feel free. And, uh, you know, please keep continuing to listen to the podcasts. And uh, we also have, you know, our funny sidecasts and, uh, you know, 
written blogs, whether they be from any of the fanhole members or even, you know, Boo's RPG blogs and so on and so forth. So uh, thanks for listening, and uh, until the next time, this is going to be uh, Derek, Derek WC, signing off. Mike Thunderwing. And this is Tony, 12th level intelligence chainclaw. Yeah. Peace. Sorry, sorry. I'm still here. Okay. <laughs> I so just, I guess going... I, I had mute on by accident. Oh, okay. Did you have something to say about... I, I just made Captain some Marvel? stupid joke. I'm glad I had mute on. Okay, awesome. I thought that dead silence was that it, was, it wasn't funny, so I was... Oh, awesome, awesome. Uh, okay. <laughs> so forget it, yeah. <laughs> Your joke is bad, and you should feel bad. Oh. It's not the jokes you tell, it's the jokes that no one hears that make you who you are. <laughs> this city just showed you it's not going to stand for your lame joke. But yeah, so we've got him, um, and then I guess continuing to to the left, you know, we're we're sort of going around the whole circle now. Phone. we got Metamorpho's ringtone. Yeah, yeah. Phone. <laughs> I'm good. You're good? Yeah. Okay. Wow. That took forever, but I think it's going to be worth it. We were in depth. We were in depth. Well, I I think think Derek was uh, recording for the edit. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, if I could hear myself echoing, I was going to try to say it again. So I bet you I'll, I'll cut out like 50 minutes of me going... And then, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then. That was bitching for like 20 minutes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then.